Hey everybody, what the fuck's going on? This episode of the podcast is brought to you first of all, first and foremost by my tour, JoeRogan.net forward slash tour T O U R. Um, this weekend is sold out at Wise Guys in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm going to do an old school club type environment. Then August third, fourth, and fifth are my next dates. Third, I'm in Sacramento. The fourth, I'm in Seattle, and the fifth, I'm in San Diego. Um, most of that is sold out. All the first three shows, the first shows are sold out, but the second shows still have some tickets available. Um, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Quicken Loans, uh, Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage understands that your home plays a big role in your life and family. And that's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence that you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. And it's very simple. It allows you to fully understand all the details and be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th home, with Rocket Mortgage, you can get transparent online you can get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's very convenient. Um, their trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting, getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate. Rate? Why does it say rate weird? You can even adjust. <laughs> adjust came out weird. <clears throat> Excuse me. Pardon me. Some about after the podcast, my mouth always goes, dude, we're done. You can adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently, and to get started, go to rocketmortgage.com forward slash Rogan. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLS Consumer Access dot org number thirty thirty. We're also brought to you by texture.com forward slash Rogan. What is that? I'll tell you. The recent conversation in popular culture surrounding fake news, ladies and gentlemen, alternative facts, and the news media, it's important to know where your news comes from. Texture features some of the most trustworthy credible publications in the world, such as Time Magazine. Time Magazine is one of the few magazines Donald Trump has not called fake news. You know why? Because he's got a fucking fake Time Magazine up in his office with him on the cover. <laughs> Have you seen that? It's amazing. That has nothing to do with this ad. The New Yorker is another uh, publication, Vanity Fair, The Atlantic, and many others. Texture gives you access not just to your favorite magazines, but also to the latest in investigative journalism, U.S. politics, and domestic and international news. At a time when it feels like it's never been harder to find the truth, supporting the free press is critically important. And from its inception, Texture has supported journalism not just by offering access to great magazines, but also financially. A portion of every subscriber fee goes to directly to the publishers. And it wouldn't be great to read all of your favorite publications at a moment's notice? Well, introducing Texture, the app that lets you read all the latest news and culture magazines like Vanity Fair, New Yorker, uh, New York Magazine, Interview, and lots of other uh, on your tablet or phone, anytime, anywhere. Ooh. 
can't go wrong, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Come on. Can you go wrong? No, you cannot. Uh, texture makes it very easy, and there's so many great ones, like like the ones I mentioned, New Yorker, and New York Magazine, and Vanity Fair, and Time Magazine. Uh, texture is normally $9.99 a month, but um, you get over 200 magazines. But if you sign up right now at texture.com forward slash Rogan, you can get a 14-day free trial. See what they're doing, folks? They're getting you hooked. Like uh, crack dealers. You know, you know, they know what they're doing. Texture was also selected as Apple's, one of their uh, top 2016 iPad apps. So start your free trial and download the Texture app. Texture, again, offering you a 14-day free trial when you go to texture.com forward slash Rogan. That's 14 days to try Texture for free when you go to texture.com forward slash rogan that's texture t-e-x-t-u-r-e dot com forward slash rogan we're almost done we almost got to the end we're going to get to the end this is the end um there's a show called adam ruins everything and i really enjoy it have you ever watched adam ruins everything young jamie it's a good show and again in the age of big lies and fake news true tv's hit educational comedy adam ruins everything proves that the truth has its merits and he gives you the facts with a heaping helping of comedy comedian adam conover is back on true tv in the second season of the hit informational comedy adam ruins everything and it returns to ruin your life with knowledge topics that adam takes on in this season include having a baby losing weight fine art college and hospitals adam ruins everything uh, they're all new Tuesdays on True TV, and they're available on demand at TrueTV.com. All right. Let's get to the show, you fucks. My guest today is my good pal, Ben O'Brien. He, You might have known him from uh, Podcast in Paradise, which is a podcast that we filmed when I was with a bunch of buddies bow hunting on Lanai. He is uh, a great dude. He's a very interesting guy. He's been all over the fucking place, and we had a wonderful time talking, and I hope you enjoy it. Give it up for Ben O'Brien. Joe Rogan Podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Two, one. Oh, and we're live, ladies and gentlemen, with the creator. Are you the creator of this? Of no. Rye Brain? Nope. Is oh, Rye Brain? Yeah, not thinking Yeti. I was like, oh, oh, I don't go no. that far. Rye Brain, though. Rye Brain. Cheers, sir. Thank you, sir. The clink. The famous <sighs> the Yeti jingle. The Rambler clink. Oh. Ooh. What a great invention. How'd you guys, well, you guys were just getting hammered and throwing anything in there. Same way for folks who haven't uh, been properly introduced. My friend Ben O'Brien is here and he's the one, uh, he was in the podcast from Paradise mm. when we were in Lanai. Gosh. One of my all time favorites. I mean, the island or the podcast. The or whole both. thing. Both. It was all awesome. The whole damn thing. But, but people are drinking those cat ladies now. Which is, it's not to be advised. <laughs> That's a terrible idea, dude. When I saw Dudley making that, I was like, what the fuck are you doing, uh, man? He poured tequila and Red Bull into a glass of red wine. And oh. we, were, we were looking at him like, what is oh. that? And people, had, <laughs> hashtags are wrong, man. When people are hashtagging. Of course, I do it sometimes just to poke fun at everybody. But I've had... Probably a dozen people like, man, I tried the cat lady last night. Yeah, people are just drinking it just to say they drank it. 
which is just don't do it, people. Don't do it. But rye brain is yeah. actually pretty good. I can get that. We were there were some meat, some Traeger, some bows involved, and stuff just got put together. And I've had these before. It actually tastes good. Yeah. But, but um, there's like no benefit that you get from Alpha Listen, Brain when you mix it with whiskey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like all the science we put into Alpha Brain, all the non-science from whiskey. Out the window, folks. <clears throat> it's all out the window. But, well, uh, I mean, it's uh, but it we've good. made zero leaps forward, but we're good where we are currently. I think maybe it might balance us out, though. Maybe I, it, it keeps might. keeps it you might. from getting too stupid. Which that's a that's it's that's a big an achievement. They can it's do a that. big issue with whiskey. What is this whiskey we got here? This is I don't uh, know. Jamie just kind of like threw it out there. Dude gave us at the comedy store. It's called Angels Envy. Oh, that sounds like a. I think like angels are really envious of whiskey, though. I mean, you're hanging out with God. You can fly. You're like, God, I wish I had some of that whiskey. Meanwhile, you buy it in a store. Angels what, angels envy. don't have money? Maybe that's, that's how it balances it's out. It's got wings on the back. Maybe it's they're trying to co-market with Red Bull. I don't know. Those are it's always the wings scary. on the back of a stripper that cries a lot. <laughs> and the right? and Angel and Envy are both names of strippers. That I've, that's true, I've never, dude. never seen that. It's a really good point. Finish yeah, the wings on the back is always a weird move, right? So but if you're, listen, if you're drinking whiskey with... With uh, Alpha Brand, you can do whatever you want. You can put whatever you want, whatever kind of whiskey you want in there. You're very open-minded. Yeah, the Alpha Brand cancels it out. <laughs> it could be, it could be the worst whiskey in the world, and the Alpha Brand makes it better. Did have you t- taken this anywhere? This uh, Rye Brand? I have not. I was, I'm it? really counting on your listeners and and Dudley's fans to do that. I want it to be organic. It's gonna spread. Yeah, it's gonna spread. The next time you go like to some exotic location and they have a Rye, <laughs> like if you're in Nepal, oh. oh. I'm going to uh, Northwest Territories with your or your boys on your hat there, the Eastmans. Are you really? In like a week. Oh, wow. So what are you doing up there? Caribou and uh, Dull Sheep. Oh, there. wow. Yeah. So we're doing a film about their, a Yeti film, Yeti Presents film about their family history. In uh, the Northwest Territories, like technically what part of Alaska is that? So that's, it's east of Alaska, right? East of British Columbia. It's up toward the Arctic Circle. So we'll fly into Norman Wells and go north from there up into the Mackenzie Mountains, which are about as far north as you can get before you hit the Arctic Circle. Whoa. So we'll be sniffing the Arctic Circle most days. But it's still, it's still Alaska, right? No, no, no. It's no. not. It's its own territory. Really? Yep. Oh, wow. Same so, as Yukon. I mean, you, know, you think Yukon moves or whatever. They're all their own territories outside oh, of Alaska. Oh, so Yukon is not Alaska? Uh, we'd have to look that up. I don't want to be... Right. I'd have to look at a globe well, I'm and not, then look at I'm not questioning like I know. I'm not, I'm <laughs> I don't just, know either. But Northwest Territories is its own territory. It's not Alaska. So who owns sure. that? Canada, I guess. Really? Yeah. Oh, so it's like past Alaska becomes Canada again? Oh, God, this is getting real deep. <laughs> I should have known coming on this package. You're like, tell me the history of Northwest Territories. <sighs> so here it is right now. There We're looking is. at it on a map. So Yukon Territory sees its Okay, own so deal. the Yukon is slightly east, or right. east rather. East, and then the Northwest Territories course is further oh, east so, above Alberta. And, wow. Uh, so you're getting up there into, into the true Arctic so it is draw. it is connected to Canada. Yeah. But it's also connected to Alaska. It's not. No, it's connected it's not. to the Yukon. It's part it's of Canada. It's one of the like, right. provinces. Of- yeah, I yeah. had it right. See, I'm getting confused. I was I doubting thought, myself. Yeah, I thought that the British Columbia section, so I saw British Columbia, I thought that was part of Alaska. You could read the Wikipedia. It's always really, it's really dramatic. God. The wild, mountainous, and sparsely populated. It's crazy that it's north of northern Alberta. Like people are like, you know what? It's just not fucking cold enough here in the winter. <laughs> we got to keep going. Well, they have lakes. They've got. I mean, they have lakes for like a month out of the oh year. Oh my gosh! 
I think when we're up there, cube. we were talking about last week. I think when we're up there, there'll be no. It'll be daylight. 24 hours a day. Oh, wow. I believe. Now, when you do that, do you bring, like, one of those eyeball cover things? Uh, yeah. I have to. Yep. The mask. Eyeball cover things. Yeah, you have whatever. to, right? You have to. You have to, unless you're really, unless you can get in a tent, just kind of zonk out. But it's it's 12, I think it's 12 or 13 days up there. So by the time you get to day five or six, you're, I mean, you're living out of your backpack. You're carrying probably 50, 60, 70 pounds in your pack. Hunting, when, climbing every day. So, I mean, it's by the time you get laid down, I don't think it matters what's going on. Now, when you do something like that, um, how much gear are you guys bringing? Are you living entirely out of your backpack? So, in the float planes, well, in the in the plane takes you to base camp, which I think in this case is um, is not a float plane. We'll, so, we'll it'll be a wheel plane. Wheel, we can take fifty pounds, and then fifty pounds each. Fifty pounds each, plus your body weight, plus your body weight. And then six days in, they will either come in a helicopter and pick us up and move us if we're not having any luck. Or they'll just drop us more gear. So you can. So the plan would be take 50 pounds of essential gear and then have other gear as backup back at base camp. Oh, wow. And so you fly into base camp. It's like, for me, it'll be like Austin to Denver, Denver to Edmonton, Edmonton to Norman Wells, hop a charter to base camp, and then from there fly out into the hunting area. Jesus <laughs> Christ. How many days to travel is that? It's like two days and change. Two days solid of just flying. Just flying. Because wow. you're overnighting, because yeah, I mean they run like one out of Norman Wells, they run like one flight a day or something, one or two flights a day. You have to be really dedicated to this kind of experience to travel, well, just travel for two days. Once you do it, man, it's like the only way to go, though. Really? It's once you. It's not the only way to go. That's douchey to say, but it's like the best, most. When you get back, you're like, man, that sucked, but I wouldn't want to change it. Yeah, something happens to people when they do those like exotic location hunts. Yeah. Like when they go sheep hunting and they risk their lives. Like I've seen some video of guys. Like well, I saw some video of you guys when you were in New Zealand. Yeah. When you were literally risking your lives with every step. Yeah. It, and it's the whole time too. It's not just like, oh, we got up to this one area where the sheep live. You're just, it, where we were in in, um, in New Zealand with Green Tree, we, when you get up into, so there's like Beechwood Forest. So you're looking at like a 3,000, 3,500, 4,000 foot mountain, right? You're, we stayed in a little hut in the river valley and so when you're down there you're looking up you're like oh that's where the tar live huh oh for three thousand feet from where we are right now and tar for people who don't know is a crazy looking animal that Himalayan looks like tar yeah it, it looks, looks like, like something a, out of lord of the rings or something it really does yeah yeah it looks like a woolly mammoth but just a miniature version yeah really crazy woolly furry shaggy yeah goat essentially hair. yeah like a goat slash sheep but i mean the funny part about all that is is when you there first... There it is right there. I've seen, seen an image. Like, that doesn't even look real. It's, they look like where we were, you would look across these little, these alpine valleys and you'd see them. It looked like a black bear. It looks like a giant black bear. And you're just thinking, where wow. am I and what is that thing? God, so it really I'm not, does like, look like You have a... some really cool adventurers like on this podcast. That's not me. When I see that thing, I think, what the fuck? <laughs> and where am I? Like, yeah. it's It's... It's it, wild looking. Yeah. And they live, you know, up in the Alpine. So there you've got the Beechwood Forest, which is probably, if I would just say hiking, straight up for about an hour and a half or two hours. And is that an invasive species for New Zealand? Is that They're feral. Or not fer- feral. That's not, no, they're non-native. So right. all the mammals yeah. on the island, they're non-native. All of them. And wow. they all were introduced by, and I wish I had really looked up some of the specifics, but they were all introduced by some other countries. Europe sent animals over there. Teddy Roosevelt sent some animals over there. Like, hey, here. How weird. You're going to want these. And what? so the the problem over there, to get on a whole different subject, is that 
the the people on that island, the residents of of New Zealand, don't value those animals as part of the landscape. They're just they're. I mean, feral would be a good term to the way they view them, to the mm-hmm. value they have on them. We have like you have moose and mule deer. That's that's part of our ethos as a country, right? And that's, our ecosystem. Yeah, too. and our ecosystem. They've been here before we were. Yeah. At some level. And so over there, they just they'll jump in a helicopter and mow down like forty red stag on a weekend because they want to control the population. One, because there's no winter kill, no predation, all that stuff. But they also just don't see a big red stag the way we see a big elk. They just don't. They don't have the value for it down there. Well, it's also the the weird thing about having no predators is how do you handle that? Do, do you bring in predators? Like if they don't, they yeah. risk disease, and there's all sorts of weird things that can happen, like like they have on Lanai. Yes, yeah, and so that's it, right? And and we've had I mean, we've done that in this country with bringing down uh, the Northwest. What's the timber wolf? That we brought them down and put them in in the states. And that's while that may seem like a good solution, it, we when we were in British Columbia hunting moose together, we saw some calf skeletons yeah, yeah we I showed that picture on the podcast it was kind of yeah. fucked up it's see just, how that thing had just been decimated yeah. by those wolves and i saw in montana one time i saw them run in circles they run in like concentric circles. they just run like a bullseye pattern when they're hunting i feel like the packs and i just watched we were i had killed my elk on the first day of this hunt and i was watching i and you would show there would be a different wolf kill like every other day in this valley and it's like the wolves were just running in circles. And I did see a couple wolves fighting that in that trip, trying oh, really? to call them in, yeah. You saw them fighting uh, each other? Yeah, two of them. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it was like 1,200 yards away, and I had a rifle, and I was, thinking, <laughs> I was thinking about it. But, I mean, what you see when you see a dead fawn every day you go hunting, it's pretty a new, it may be not new to that day, but new to that week. You start to think, like, how, if this pack worked this valley for a full year, what could they do? Right. And there's numbers to that somewhere. Some people have figured out what, how many elk a year a pack But on the other side, before the wolves were reintroduced, there was an issue with overpopulation. Right. So it's... So that's where I think that's probably where hunters come in. Yeah. You know, you could... I, I value that animal. I'm willing to pay you for the opportunity to help you conserve that population. Right. And so that's... But that's, that becomes very problematic for people, like when you start talking about wolves. Yes, Because wolves look like dogs. It does. Wolves, are, don't eat wolves are another one of those ones. That, black bears, too. I mean, I think it's, you don't eat them. I, well, mean, I eat, think eat wolves bear. more than any animal. Yeah, wolves way more than any animal. Yeah. I was talking to, there was a, a gal at my work that I was talking to, and she lives in Austin, Texas, and is very, not a hunter, but works um, at Yeti. And so she's around hunting. And we were talking about wolves. And I just said, look, I don't have a really hardened opinion on wolves. I've not spent enough time around them. I just know that they're meat processors on four legs. They give no shits about right. anything they don't they're not just eating they don't just eat what fills their belly they eat and then they eat more and they kill more and that's all they're wired to do right i've seen that in action so that's all i really know i don't know whether that's good for an ecosystem bad whatever and and she just said well i didn't really know that it's hunting has really bad wolves wolves seem to have a good pr agent and hunting and management <laughs> have a terrible pr agent <laughs> you know so i think that you know that's that's part of the problem that there's a sect of people that are really glorifying the wolf for good reason. I mean, it's an awesome animal, a majestic animal, but at the same time, there is a juxtaposition to that that needs to be told, too. Well, they, I think a big part of the issue is that people know that they virtually wiped them out in North America yeah, at one point in time, and I think people feel guilty about that. Yeah. Well, and then and they should feel ashamed. guilty. They should feel ashamed about the mallard duck. 
and the elk. People don't know and about the, the ducks. Tail. No. Yeah, but we brought those back to the point right. where the numbers are higher than they've ever been before. But right, those same people don't know how that happened, though. Right, those right. same people aren't aware of how they just see whitetails around. They're like, oh, that's annoying. Yeah, and people want the car. They don't know that at the turn of the century they were almost all gone. Yeah, because we market hunted them to hell. Uh, and so that, I think that's there's just it's just education, man. I just think people need to to seek the other side, which I always try to do, and you do all the time. Just seek whatever the other side is, and hunting is not always the way to go. Yeah, but it's inconvenient because like it's it's hard. Like if you, say if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, you're going to get your information from animal rights act- activists, yeah, you are. and it's going to be biased in that direction. Or if you're a hunter, you're going to get your information from hunting and conservation groups, and it might be biased in the other way. Yeah. I think wolves are a good thing because they're awesome. You know, mm-hmm. I don't not I don't not like wolves. Well, and I think no hunter is like wipe the wolves out. I, right. I've never heard that. I've just heard like, what's the carrying capacity for this state, this region for wolves? Right? How right. many can there be? And and I know in a lot of cases, you know, the biologists would say one thing, like, okay, here the hundred wolves in this area, and then when it ballooned up to a thousand, they argued for hunters to come in and help push that population down. There was still a pushback. Like, right. well, wait a minute, we said we agreed upon scientifically, right. bi- biologically. You know, we we yeah. The problem is that it's negotiable at all. It should have been like yeah. once the wolves hit two thousand, then then you start a hunting season. But then the the real issue is it's incredibly hard to shoot a wolf. <laughs> like they, it's not as simple as like you go out and find a wolf and kill them. Well, you they're really about, smart. You think about tar in New Zealand. You can't just like if they're overpopulated in an yeah. area, you can't just like ah oh, we'll just walk up a hill and crack a couple. I mean that's. That's a pretty big feat. So they jump in a helicopter. And do that's they, d- they do gun it. down the, the tar that way too? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. God damn. So how do they determine whether or not they should be gunning them down? It's, you know, and I don't know like the, the holistic method that they use, but I know our guide up there this year was just talking about he would go to the, to the sheep stations or the ranch owners or, or some of the areas. Some of those big mountain areas are owned privately. Um, and some of the areas where they were down a little bit lower, they, they would just say, go out today and kill 100 and that's what they would do. And it was it was not – it didn't seem to me to be too scientific in the way they went about it. But it's a private landowner telling you, hey, these this is an infestation essentially. Yeah. And my argument to them was like, why don't you just – these animals are here. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to swim over to Australia. Why don't you just treat them like we treat our, our wildlife? Why don't right. you just accept them? And then there were some people down there that were agreed with me wholeheartedly, some people in the guide and outfitting community. It's like, why don't you just accept these animals as part of your landscape and treat them like that? And I think that's that's a, a swelling opinion down there for sure. Well, how do they accept? I mean, they just treat them like they're pests? Is that a- I, don't, I wouldn't say pests because they do have some value because hunters from around the world would go down there like we did. But and- don't they have a lot of um, a lot of that is on public land or, excuse me, so- private land in those high fence places? That's that's basically stag. You can't really – it's going to be – it's hard to high fence for chamois and tar. They just live in places where you're – You'd be dumb to put a fence. (laughs) If you tried, you'd be dumb. But stag, stag is a whole different deal down there. Yeah, I mean, is it because they're so big? Like they, the people want to go there and get a big rack of antlers. To their discredit, like they have harvested the bad parts of our hunting culture and marketed it. Really, they have. Um, And and I think there's a lot of people down there that would push back on that. Um, on that idea, but yeah, but explain that what that means by the I, bad parts, and not just the American hunting culture because there's a lot of Europeans that go there too. I think the parts of the trophy hunting, the hey, come down here and 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 work on this 500 inch stag. We've got it here. 
and they have agents that go around and sell those. And for 500-inch tag, what we're talking about, folks, is the size of the antlers, not the size of the actual animal itself. Right. The people get super obsessed, and they fetish numbers, like, you know, the score. And what a score is, for people who don't know, they take a tape measure, and they go over very specific sections of the antlers, and they calculate all the measurements together, and when they do that, they come up with some number and there's these milestone benchmark numbers like a 200 inch whitetail is a huge deer or a 400 inch elk is a huge elk but they get stags that go to 500 and more what and more more. insane and is it it, as big as an elk like uh, the animal body size not quite close not quite Uh, wow and and i and one of the sheep stations we hunted with originally they farm they essentially farm red deer. I mean, red deer and stag, same thing, are walking around in these... They're the same animal? No. Down there, red stag, red deer's basically the same thing. But you find red deer in Europe, and they're different. Oh, okay. Parts of the same genus. Why yeah. do they call them a stag? But isn't a stag a male? A male? Right, stag's okay. A male. Stag and hind, hind being the female. H-I-N-D? Yep. And so, but you would call it... Uh, you would call the animals a red deer? Like I've it, heard it called, I've hunted in Europe and they call it a red deer there. So I'm not sure. Those deer came from there anyway. So I'm sure it's the same species. So they came and they dropped them off in the 1800s just to turn the whole place into a giant like hunting provision, right? At some level. Yeah, at some level. I'd love to read the history of that. I don't really, I haven't gone that far back. How but, crazy is it that before they came, there was no mammals there? Yeah. Like, what a weird patch of land. It's a weird, like, New Zealand is, is definitely coming from where we come from and all the things we have, and we just find it normal that we can hunt. How many how many huntable species are there on this, um, you know, on this continent? Going down there is just such a weird... But in the, and they celebrate the outdoor culture. They celebrate hunting and fishing in the way that, almost in the way that we do. And they have public land, much like we do. And their public land is, is more revered and more well-managed and better taken care of, I think, than our public lands. And it's more usable. Mm. And so they have all these, like, similar properties that we have in America. But at some level, they're just, I think they just got poor luck. They don't have native mammals to, you know, to they don't have the bald eagle to put on their masthead. They, they just have these, you know, essentially chamois, tar, and... Uh, but tar stag. aren't... Na- they're not native either. No, none of those... Shammy's no, not native. Nothing's none native. None of them. They also have Canadian geese that are not native, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Did you know Paradise that duck. they used to have the biggest eagle in the world? Really? Yeah, they used to have an eagle called the Host Eagle, and apparently mm-hmm. they killed them off in the 1400s, and they were so big, there's speculation they used to eat people. <laughs> I'd kill them all, too. They had too. a 14-foot wingspan, I think, is what we figured out. I might exaggerate. If you've ever be been over feet. there, it's, it really is like if it, it's a place where that kind of eagle would live. That's what it looked Holy like. Holy shit. <laughs> that's what a host eagle looked like. We're looking at an eagle that's literally the size of a big person. My lord. Yeah. And Badass that, of the week. <laughs> yeah. Look at the size of that fucking thing. And so this host that can't eagle. Be it. Look, that's Gandalf. I mean, look, if it's as big as a person like that picture. Go to that first picture again. Like, yeah, look how big that thing is. I mean, if that thing spreads its wings, if that is over what it there, looks the like. The landscape over there in some of the alpine areas, that it looks like a place where that would live. That would kill you. Yeah. That, that thing, if they caught you hiking, you'd be <laughs> fucked. You. It would just pull you off the cliff and just drop oh, you off. Oh. That's not a real host eagle. Yeah. The, the actual host eagle. That's the problem with Google images. We're getting all kinds. We got Gandalf riding an eagle. We got. But that one that with the. Eagle right there? That one with the, the emus or whatever the fuck those animals are. Is that that's an a ostrich? Fox. That he's scared. That one's scared. Oh, yeah. look at that. 
So when did it go extinct, Jamie? What does it say? Look at that. Look at the size of the fucking thing. <laughs> There's that. a dude standing next to what the skeleton of a host eagle. And who is that dude? That dude is awesome. Look at him. Yeah, he looks like a wizard. Oh, he really does. Look at his robes. That's an ancient intellectual. It really is. Back in the day, I was a scholar. 1600 AD. Oh, boy. Is that what it says? The real thing actually lived on Earth. And of course it was known as the Tiger of the Skies. Tiger of the Skies. Dude, that's not that long ago. 1600? Holy shit. I thought it was 1400s. Because the Tiger of the Sky. Six feet tall. Oh, it weighed only 35 pounds? And it had a wingspan of 10 feet. Wow, that's crazy because they're hollow bones, I guess. 35 pounds doesn't seem that much, man. How do you go back to that picture? How the fuck is that thing 35 pounds? There's nothing six feet tall. Ten foot wingspan. That thing's only 35 pounds? That seems wrong. I don't know, Like man. a turkey's heavy. Like you pick yeah, up you a turkey. you get a turkey in like 25 pound range. Yeah. Look at the size of that thing. Oh, no. <laughs> you see how big it is. Every time I'm hanging around you, I hear, I hear about these like evil mystical animals. Well, I think giant the, bears the real concern shit. was that the host eagle... They might have killed it off like the local New Zealand folks might have killed it off back then because they were eating people. I do not blame them in any See way. if that's the truth. That might be a lie. Did we need to know eagles, about this host eagle. I do man. need to know. I, we hunted at a place called Host when we were over there. So maybe oh, yeah? there's a connection. Maybe we're really finding. Maybe find some ancient eagle skull. <laughs> big old hook bone. Just see if it ate people. Relationship with humans. You see that? Google that. See where it says relationship with humans? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Do, 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 do. Could have been possible. Do, 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 do. Even and smaller golden eagles are capable of killing. Yeah, they do. said they kill humans, which scientists believe could have been possible if the name relates to the eagle. Given the massive size and strength of the bird, even smaller golden eagles are capable of killing prey as big, big as sick up deer or bear cub. <sighs> yeah, that fucking thing killed a few people. Yeah. For sure. Like a baby. You didn't think, yeah, like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't think that a predator like that did not learn what it could and could not go get. Okay, so the sculpture's yeah. goofy. Yeah, the sculpture weighs. Okay, a the lot. sculpture. Is that the sculpture we were looking at? Maybe, yeah, it was an approximation of it. It says it's 7.5 meters, 25 feet tall. No, that wasn't 25 feet tall. No. Oh, with a wingspan of 11.5 meters. 38 feet. Okay. That's, that, that's the art park that we we're looking at in New Zealand. Right. That's just a, a giant sculpture. Probably the animal. Okay, I get you. But uh, there's a really cool eagle that lives in the rainforest called the harpy eagle that eats monkeys. <laughs> You've seen that I one? I want to know about this stuff, man. I think that's because I'll biggest... probably find myself in a rain in a rainforest <laughs> in like a couple months, be looking up for harpy eagles all over time. Well, there was a dude that was trying to put a camera in a harpy eagle nest, and he got attacked by a harpy eagle. Well, that so, dude yeah. shouldn't have been doing that. Well, he's a scientist. Well, that's what he should have been. A... Should have worked in a movie theater or something. <laughs> <laughs> he should, he, should. he had fault, to, though. Dude. That was his thing, man. See if you can... We gotta stop looking at these terrible The harpy beasts. eagle's cool looking because it's kind of white. Look, we and we were talking about this when we were in Lanai. I have a problem swimming in the ocean. Because I feel too. like I look like a seal all the time when I'm in there. Right. And I feel like sharks will... They're like, look at that. that a guy just delicious. got both his legs bitten off yesterday in Florida. See? Yeah. This is awareness, man. Chomp. Chomp. Bull and shark. Done. So now I'm scared of the skies, thanks to this. Did you know that the bull shark swims so far upriver that they live in fresh water, and they have been found as high as Illinois? 
God, they go upriver to fucking Illinois, and they're the most aggressive sharks. I, I heard that. I've heard that before. They used to live right on the Illinois River. Well, they also are the reason why the, the movie Jaws wasn't inspired by a great white shark. It was inspired by a series of attacks by bull sharks in freshwater rivers in New Jersey. We got to talk about something else. No. It's freaking me out. No, no, no. <laughs> and this they made the, the music. Like, oh, it's terrible. Doom, doom, doom. Yeah, Jaws. It gets in your psyche, that stuff. Changed people. What would the music be for one of those big eagles? Same. It would be death metal. Yeah. You'd be out in the field and you'd do hear that man. death metal music. I've seen too much. Over in Nepal, they have these big things called Langergeiers. It's like a big, it's a Nepali griffin. It looks like a big old vulture. You look that thing up, see what the wingspan are on those. But they'd be, we'd be up on some mountain glassing for sheep and there'd be like giant thing with... Like an know, airplane. Eight, nine foot wingspan. And you could see, the the creepiest part to me was, you could see their heads moving back and forth like looking they, for were, shit. they were looking for shit. And they they take they take and kill um, baby sheep. I saw a video after I got back and I was kind of freaking out about these things. And it's a vulture? Yeah, it's like a, a Nepali. They call it a langergeier. And when we were there, they told us, oh, you're going to see griffins. So it, it had a variety of names. Like everything there seems to have, um, but it's a. It looks like a vulture. It's like a giant. I didn't know that they hunted. That's interesting. I thought they, they just do. ate. Car- well, I, I guess- watched something on like uh, Planet Earth about them, and that they showed them in packs, and they were they eat bone marrow. So they would they would get a bone off the ground, fly up into the air, and strategically drop it onto the ground so it would crack open, fly down, eat the eat the insides. Wow. Yeah. I wonder how they figured that out. The same thing, you could just see their brains churning. Like a lot of times you see a, an animal in the sky, a bird in the sky, and you just think it's soaring around. But you could see the predatory brain of this longer guy as it flew above us, just churning as it looked around for what to get after. Well, they say ravens are stupid smart, like as smart as chimps. Yeah. So, well, you think about this bird. I mean, this bird's yeah. a brain the size of what? I don't know, a lemon. But yeah. it's it literally... Found out, if I want to get inside that bone. I'm going to fly up and drop this some bitch and, yeah. and eat the insides. Well, somewhere along the line, they figured a long time ago how to drop things off of cliffs. Absolutely. Like, they've been doing that with goats and stuff. There's a ton of videos of them grabbing goats and pulling them out like eagles in there particular. Whoa, that's the longer guy? What is that thing? That thing looks fucking evil, man. <laughs> yeah, Holy dude. shit. <laughs> yeah. Look at the yeah. face on that thing. I think when I was over there, when we were in... In the mountains, I just wrote like a whole page about this longer guy we saw. I don't remember it being that oh, color. It wasn't that color. That's amazing. It looks like one in the zoo. Oh my god! They were jet a... black. The ones we saw. Imagine how scary that looks, but just being jet black. Wow, the coloration. What is yeah. that? A bone? A bone? In its yeah. mouth? It's mm-hmm. swallowing whole. Yep. Ugh, primitive creature. Just wow. no, like complete emotionless eyes. Yeah. That's I, I vividly remember looking up at some point and seeing this thing floating in the breeze and looking around and thinking, that thing is savage. How big did they get, Jamie? What a weird name, Lumbergeier. How do you spell it? L-A-M-M-E-R-G-E-I-R. Over there, they described it. Originally, our guy described it as a griffin. But a griffin's like a mythological Yeah, I know. That's right? why I was thinking I'm going to see this mythological thing. <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> I was oh. waiting for something to land and like talk to us. That's like, that's a place in New Zealand is like, that's, that's a perfect 
location if they ever decided to do like some sort of a Jurassic Park type oh. situation. Well, even Lanai. Right. Four feet tall. Nine foot wingspan. There it is. Wow. Yeah, man. It, Again, but look at this weight. 15 pounds. That's crazy. Gotta be. Nine foot wingspan. That? Like, ooh, that's the that? wise old that. wizard vulture. The Egyptian vulture. I'm going to have I'm gonna have dreams about this podcast. That's its closest Terrible. relative. What the fuck? Oh, God. Isn't it crazy that nature just designed a really creepy, shitty looking animal to come down and eat all the dead shit? Where's like, that picture from right there? Mm, I don't know, man. It looks like old as fuck. Whatever it looks it is. like it could be in Nepal or Tibet. Overhunting has led to the endangerment of the species. Hmm. It's just, um, it's weird how nature has evolved these animals, or they have evolved, to develop this that weird look. Like, vultures, like, look disgusting. <laughs> you know? But, like, look at that thing's face. Oh, like, God. there's something about the way nature has evolved, or they have evolved. And they're not, yeah. They've evolved like, to look scary. Yeah. Cute animals are delicious. Right. Like mm-hmm. a rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. Delicious. Deer? Deer. Delicious. Delicious. Gorgeous animals. Right. Like if you eat a bear, like some people think bear are cute, but you got to cook the shit out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Can we, let's address something right now. Okay. Bear meat is is good. It's very good. It's very good. Yeah. It can be very Depending good. upon what they eat. Depending on what they eat and where you're at. Like if you're yeah. going in September to Prince of Wales, Alaska, and you shoot one, and it's just been eating salmon for a and couple weeks. Clams on the beach. Yeah. You don't want to eat that thing. Right. But if you go somewhere where where good vegetation and it's it's well it's got a lot of fat on it, it can be good. I would argue it's not to be celebrated. Like it's not that good. It's it is not as well. It depends. Apparently, if you eat a blueberry bear, it's one of the best meats ever. Yeah, Renella see, raves about. See, it. See, if Renella does, I, I I've had I've eaten a lot of bears and I like eating them. I'm not. I wouldn't throw them away or whatever. So I would continue to hunt them, but I've never had that same feeling of like an elk tenderloin or elk backstrap. Like it's just not or an axis. That, or an axis. It's not Did in that you... category. So I feel like maybe we overcompensate a little bit because there's so much pushback on bear hunting. Right. We start talking about how great it is. How great it is. It's really good, but it's not like, it's not, it doesn't get to that next level. Have you had smoked bear ham though? I have. It's, it's very amazing. Delicious. That's pretty damn good. But that's yeah. one of those things where it's like, it's smoked, it's brined, yeah. it's yes. treated. Yes. And, and, and that's the biggest thing, right? You can... Most meats that you're going to go hunting for, you treat, you look at the cut of meat and you treat it accordingly, right? And so there's no, you have to, obviously because of trichinosis, you have to cook a bear all the way through to a certain temperature. So that may be, because I love rare meat, that may be my problem. I don't know. But I think maybe, I think maybe a little bit we could address the fact that hunters a little bit have overcompensated for the fact that people are pushing back on them so much and then they're like, I love bear. It's like. It's good, right? But I wouldn't choose. It's not it. my favorite. I wouldn't choose it over a lot of other meats, right? right? If you not had to like, say it's bad, but it's like bad. if someone told me you have to pick one animal forever, I'd probably say elk. Yeah, and bear would be pretty far down the list. Yeah, it not? wouldn't. It wouldn't make it in the top three or four. Right. It would be all well. That's a, again the thing that you just said. Like I like eating things medium rare or rare. That's where they taste the best. Yes. Yeah. And so look, I'm not. I would never put somebody down for. I love bear meat. I eat it all the time. That's great. I just. That's a point I've always it's not thought the best. in my head. Right. Yeah. I've yeah, always thought in my head like, mm, okay. It's like people like largemouth bass fishing, but if you go to a restaurant and they have largemouth bass right <laughs> yeah. next to Chilean sea bass and you pick the largemouth bass, you're kind of an you're asshole. You're lying to yourself. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't taste that good. It's That's, okay. It's edible. It's edible. It's really good. I mean, if you cook it's it right, it's a bad example really good. because largemouth bass tastes 
bear tastes way better than largemouth bass. <laughs> we're yeah, we're going down the yeah. track. Like largemouth bass just doesn't taste that <laughs> bear good. Bear tastes better than largemouth bass, right? Yeah, Have you right. had largemouth? No. It's okay. It's I like never there's found some delicious freshwater fish. Delicious. You, know? you go to like Alaska trout. and they're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, a, I'm not much of a fish eater anyway. John Barklow from uh, Sitka was in Vegas this past weekend, and we Love were talking. Yeah, he's a great guy. Mm. Him and uh, Dave Brinker were there. And he was talking about how... Um, I love that guy, too. I, I don't know. want to leave him out. But, oh, yeah. But, love <laughs> love, love you, you guys. Dave. Miss you guys. Love you guys. Uh, but uh, John was talking about how he actually uh, enjoyed uh, brown bear meat. And I was like, really? And he's like, he goes, it tasted like a mule deer roast. Like he goes, I made it. I gave it to people at parties. And he said, he <laughs> put awesome. it on, like he cut it up into cubes and put little toothpicks in it and handed it out like as hors d'oeuvres at a party. And people were eating it. And they're like, wow, this is delicious. What is it? And he goes, it's a brown bear. And people got mad at him. Of course they did. <laughs> of course they did. It's a person. It's I love my that neighbor. he did it. I love that he did it, though. I support, fully support that idea. Right, but it, I would assume that if someone like John, who works for Sitka, this is probably the number one hunting gear clothing company in the world. And John is a wealth of knowledge. Yes. All the way through. And, you know, had a considerable amount of experience in the military. I would imagine the people that would come to his house for a party yeah. would be normalized. What would happen in L.A. if you did, like, if you oh did that? Oh, my God. They'd go crazy. Yeah. There'd be, a, there'd be riots. Yeah, you should see the look on people's faces when my kids tell them that they've eaten bear because <laughs> you know when the kids are like five and six like i've eaten bear i ate a bear it was awesome Woo! do they have that like fierce look in their eyes no. like you just had like, i ate a bear <laughs> yeah they think it's fun to freak people out i do like, like that bear part sausage and your, your daughter's so cute like that's that's yeah. a wonderful thing coming out of there for, it's weird right it's you know the, the the bear thing is a very strange one and i um I definitely don't like hunting them like I like hunting anything else. And I, I struggle with that. Like, I, as a hunter, I feel like coming on and talking as a hunter, I don't want to, like, disparage, disparage anything. But right. I also just want to be 100% honest about every part yeah. of it. And hunting is this really complex activity, and I feel compl- conflicted about it almost every time I go. Like, not about killing the animal or hunting, but just about little parts of what's going on. Yeah. And so bear hunting... But it's also, sometimes you just want to... Like, Rinella said this once, and I never understood it until it happened to me. He's like, I just want to watch them sometimes. Yeah. I don't really want to hunt yeah. them. I, and it's... it's Yeah. What is hunting anyway? Is right. hunting killing, or is hunting getting close enough to, like, Or is it the whole hand? thing? Yeah, it's the whole thing. I think my opinion on that specific point is... One, I would go back to... I always ask myself two questions. Why are you going... And and does this hunting benefit the place and the animal that you're hunting? And if I can't answer those questions myself, and I always strip away conservation and meat from the first question. Well, you have a very good way of looking at this that yeah. I think is very honest. And I think this is super important, is that conservation is essentially a side effect of hunting. It's a byproduct, right? right? And to pretend that it's the whole thing, it's almost like a weird... It's. It's a disingenuous approach to the argument. Like it people really are saying is. you shouldn't be hunting will say, well, hunting is conservation and hunters are the best conservationists. Okay. That's part well, of that's true, but part it's not, of it is true, but the, it's not really why you're doing there, it. And there's in the, here's the the biggest point to make. There's semantic chinks in that armor, right? right? We've built up over the years as hunters like these are organic meat and conservation is this like armor, right? Right. That insulates why we go. And I think there's just chinks in that armor that if we don't recognize those points, 
especially the conservation one. I think that's a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Like conservation, hunting is a tool for conservation. It's the same way as translocation is a tool for conservationists. Um, you can move the animal to get him away from a certain situation, uh, reintroduce the animal. That's one way. Or bring in hunters and help manage the population that way. But it's that first question, right, is why do I go? And I always say it's like, We've had experiences, you and I, together in the woods that I wouldn't, we couldn't replicate anywhere else. Like, you've done a lot of cool shit. And there's some, like, when you ran down the road after I shot my <laughs> moose, like, there's just something about that for me that is way more fulfilling and enriching to my life than any other thing I've experienced. I, mean, I haven't experienced everything, but all the things that I've done. Well, it's so primal. Right, and so it's that. It's learning about animals. It's, you're it's, in the woods, yeah. too. You're also in a and yeah. really almost like you're a visitor in an alien world. Exactly, and so you learn about these animals. You, you develop skills I feel like you wouldn't develop any other way. So, and on and on it goes. I mean, there's probably a hundred reasons that I, and I discover a new one every time I go. And so I always say, like, that's the answer to the first question. Why do I go? It's not like, man, I'm real hungry and I want to control the population. I'm aware as I go hunting that the two, those two things are byproducts of my efforts. And they're always going to be byproducts of my efforts, unless I'm poaching. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, there is a biologist, a state wildlife biologist, federal biologist that determine what tags go where, what animals. They're moving pieces of the puzzle around to keep this thing the way it is, right? Keep it healthy, keep it stable. But they're also looking at what's the economic impact of that. All that's going on while I'm out there thinking, I got to kill this big buck. But right. I'm not thinking while I'm out there with my bow, I'm not thinking, well, I'd like to kill that one because that'll really stabilize this area. You right. Know, I'm out there and I'm, ah, kill that one because I really like backstraps. I know those two things are happening, but they're almost like you pull that away from from what's actually going on and focus on why you're there. Like, why do you go? Why did you go to Lanai? Like, what? Somebody said, why'd you go? What would you say? Two reasons. One, um, to bow hunt for meat. For sure, because I wanted to eat axis deer. And two, because I think that it's great practice. One of the hardest things about bow hunting is just you can practice all day on a target, mm. but it's almost like never sparring. Like you could practice all day hitting a heavy bag, but you've, you never have hit a person. Right. Like once you're in front of a person, things get weird. Well, and there's a chink in the armor, right? So you say, well, I practice on an animal. That's terrible. I would say to that, like, that that's just another chink in the armor that we all know is happening. Like, if we were conservationists, we would never pick up a bow. Yeah, but I'm not practicing on an animal like I've never practiced before. Right. Like, I pra- this is a... Practicing maybe being the wrong term. Like, there's something in there that, like, yeah. the experience of stalking an animal is yeah. pretty visceral. And if you've never done it, you can shoot your back out whatever the hell you want. Well, I say practice in, in terms of, like, when you compete as a, a young martial artist, it's not really practice, but it is. It is. Like, you're involved in competition. Mm-hmm. So, like, are you hunting or are you practicing? Well, you're definitely hunting. Yeah. But that hunting is practice for other hunts yeah. where you don't get nearly as many opportunities as you do in Lanai. Lanai is the, one of the best examples of a place that has no predators and a real problem with overpopulation. You weren't with me and Dudley that one time where me and him and uh, his son were, were hanging out and we were there at last light and we were watching these axis deer come off the mountain and we saw, I don't know how many hundreds. I mean, it might have been seven, eight hundred deer coming off this mountain. And we were like, what the fuck? It was just crazy. There's ten more. There's five more. There's six more. There's eleven more. There's a herd of twenty. Like, what the fuck? It got to the point where we're like, this is crazy. So in a place like that, 
I feel like you you have a a, a great ethical argument for like you, mm-hmm. they are going to shoot these animals. Period. And the only other uh, way to get around it is you bring in wolves. Yep. And if you bring in wolves, well, guess then you what? Have wolves. And then you have wolves. <laughs> and these wolves. people also have dogs running around on the streets, right. and right. you know, like pet dogs. So those dogs would get fucked like immediately. They're going to get killed by wolves because wolves want to take out all the right. possible. Uh, you can't have wolves on the night. It's a stupid idea. <laughs> right? Let's hey everybody, just stop. We're never right going to do that. But so it's one of it, in terms of like since in, since the animals are there and there there's no talk of eradicating them because they have a real value the people that live there live off of them like all those folks that we were hanging out with like roman oh. and a lot of the, the the people that work at that place they eat access all the time and yeah. it is without a doubt not an uh, oh. it is the opposite uh it is the most delicious game meat in the world i if it's I, not if it's not like right up there if it's not number one it's number two yeah it's amazing. It's so good. Like, we ate it at the restaurant. They served it at oh, the yeah. restaurant. The Lanai. burger. Remember the yeah. burger we had at that one lunch? Oh, Insane. my gosh. And then the steak place. Terrible. The steak place at that place. Terrible. Terrible, <laughs> so, terrible meaning good. I mean. <laughs> terribly good. Like, so terrible, like, I can't get it out of my mind. Those sliders are insane. About, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. They were sliders. Yeah. But, but the so, restaurant serves tenderloin, yeah. and it is phenomenal. Mm. It's so good. So why would, like, it, I, that's why one thing I always try to separate and I try to do it only because I think I try to look at it from someone else who's a non-hunter and is right. hearing us talk or hearing me talk or whatever and maybe thinking, like, that's a weird part of that. Like, that's that's strange. And so I feel like if I can say, yes, the meat is delicious. Yes, they got to kill these things. Yes, the local people value the animal because hunters exist, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, that they, they wouldn't just gun them down because hunters will pay to, to go out there. All those things, I think, set aside – what am I there for? Like we were that group of hunters we had in camp was probably, I mean I've hunted with a lot of awesome, talented folks. It was probably the most skilled group of hunters I've ever been around. Well, think about who we had. We had John Dudley, yeah. who's arguably, if not the best bow hunter in the world, he's in the top three. I think it's like I mean, it's like John. Well, there's like top four, like John, Cam, Remy, and uh, Adam. They, Adam Greentree. Yeah. They, they might be of like Of all the people the I've four. hunted with, that's the top four, I would say. I think they might be the top four in the world. And if they they're not be. if they're not top four, they're all they're in the top ten. Yeah. Right? So this is just Come like, see us. If you think you're better, yeah. come see us. It's a clan of killers. Yeah. I mean, and then you got Shane Dorian, who's a great bow hunter too, oh. and the best and so, big wave surfer in the world. About, gotta say about Shane, he's fanatical. Like oh, he yeah. would just I'd be like, Hey Shane, you wanna like go take a break and get a sandwich? And he'd look at me like, What? Yeah, he's like, no. We could be hunting. Why would we be eating sandwiches? Yeah, he was out there all day. Every he didn't day, even come day. in. He didn't come it's in for best. during lunchtime when everybody else was in because it was yeah. 95 degrees outside. Yeah. He's out there on his hands and knees crawling, crawling. through the bushes. Just hoping, crawling. Hoping to find one slipping. <laughs> Just crawling. Just forever to crawl in. So that, for me, like one reason to do that, stripping away all the things that I know to be right, right. in my own mind, was that. Was those people getting them all together yeah. and then like meeting Roman and meeting Brandon and meeting Alec, all our guides and all the locals that were there. Like those are things I, and I learned more about the quick twitch muscle and a goddamn deer oh my God. than I've ever learned. So I feel like I've learned something. I spent time with these people that, that made me better at not just hunting, but everything. Well, for people who've never been around an access deer before, they evolved with tigers. So yeah. tigers hunt them. I mean, you have never seen an animal more fast in your life. <laughs> How about that one deer that we shot? 
I shot at this deer. It was 60 yards away. It was looking at me, and I was like, I think I'm going to shoot it. It's just standing there. By the time my arrow got yeah. there, it was four or five deer away. It was swimming to Maui. <laughs> it was at a little. It built a boat, and it was rowing over. So 60 yards away, the arrow's going 275 feet a second, and it was nowhere <laughs> near it by the time it got there. It's like, see ya. please. They're so fast. They're faster than any animal I've ever seen. Well, with that, let's just say, like, what a weird scenario to be hunting an animal that has been trained by tigers to yeah. avoid you. Yeah. You know, what a weird thing. So, like, that that's my appreciation. Yeah. Like, that, little, that little exchange of, hey, me and tigers both hunted this thing. I know. Like, that's, that's something cool to me that's a... That's outside of this thing. So and you talk about that meat. all day. But and then the meat. Look, if oh. you're gonna, if you're a person who values animal protein, if you like ethically sourced animal protein, there's no better way to get it than than like a place like Lanai. Like all the pieces are in check. Do they need to kill them? Yes. Is there an overpopulation problem? Yes. yes. Does it provide jobs for locals? Yes. Mm. yes. Yes. All the good things. I mean, there's a lot of uh, positive sides to it. Yeah. And again, if you're someone who enjoys bow hunting, like, uh, look, it's an uncomfortable thing for some people, but I enjoy it. I like it. I like getting my meat that way. I don't like, I feel bad if I get bacon from a store. I feel like. What are we talking about, like, uh, as predators? Like, we are predators. Like, you look at, you know, it's been millions of years we've been killing and eating things. No humans are herbivores, and that's all a lie. <laughs> I don't know. No. I've done you some reading. You don't have to be a predator. Look, you don't have to be a predator. You could live off of. But aren't we, though? But uh, Some people. But look, you could live, my point is, if you wanted to, I don't want to disparage the way anybody lives their life. You could live off of just pure vegetables. You could live off of, and by the way, there's a real moral and ethical argument if you are a vegan to eat mollusks, folks. Because mollusks are more primitive than most plants. They, they don't communicate as much as plants do. They don't have any sense of feeling. They have no nerve endings that would allow them to feel pain. They're incredibly simple organisms. The only thing that we have against them in terms of like when we think about them as being an animal versus uh, you know like a plant, people think eating a plant is cruelty-free. Mm. Eating a mollusk, you're killing a living creature, right? But that's just because they move. But a fucking Venus flytrap moves too, and it's probably ten times smarter yeah. than like a scallop. Like they're not smart. It's hard to to regulate that morality. It's it I is, think. but I mean, I just want people. If you're if you're uncomfortable with eating chicken, I get it. But so eat do I. clams and oysters and those things are good for you. They really are, and yeah. it's sustainable. And the 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 animals themselves are not feeling shit. Yeah. The moral entanglements of all of it is just yeah, and like you know, we say we're we humans. We wake up in the morning and you consume everything. Mm -hmm. Like you're just consuming. You breathe air. You pump out CO two. I mean, and every other animal does too. They yeah. just wander around just, chewing just, on the grass and these consumption engines. Yeah, and like for us to to separate out one part of our consumption and then like beat the crap out of it, even though we've been doing it for two million years, is in and of itself kind of weird. Well, you know what I think happened. Is your mic on? That was so weird. It was, was so very loud. loud. It was weird. It was like it was in my ear. <laughs> Jamie's, Jamie's on the ride brain over there. He's getting crazy. Yeah. But I think part of the issue is that people over the last 100 years or so have been so removed from yeah. where the meat comes from that when they can find a direct connection, like, oh, you went and you shot a moose mm. and then you ate that moose? Like, you, were, you killed the moose? Like, you didn't have to kill that moose. Like, that... That becomes yeah. problematic because people aren't used to someone killing things. Yeah, people that they know in particular. No, and I I enjoy the ideological conversation. I just enjoy the conversation. Right. Like I enjoy it because I think it's part of a human condition. 
it's part of who we are and what we do. So, yeah, we should probably fight about it a little bit and disagree because it's pretty damn important. Like, yes. This is an important piece of our humanity. It is important. That we're talking about. So I, f- I feel very strongly that hunting is like the essence of who I am as a human and has made my life better. But I can see how somebody else would say, yeah, that's you're killing stuff. I can too. And I also think that those people are important. I, I think, think so. I think having vegans and having animal rights activists and having to be, be able to have dialogue with them, it also makes sure that you keep people honest, like people that are hunters. Yeah. Like, you, you know, like... Because we all know unethical people. There's people that are unethical. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and look at, like, if you, it, I always think about it, you know, if you look at the trend of hunting in the 70s, hunting was doing great. And then in the 80s, started to tick down. Fucking Bambi. That's fucking what happened, Bambi. bro. Well, I would say three, we, I, we talked about this before, like three things. Bambi, maybe Walt Disney. He was maybe a dick. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then urbanization. Right. Which correlated with the, the decline in hunting. And then hunters being the third one. Messaging. Yeah. We have bad, we're bad PR agents. Some of them are bad PR agents. And Not then all there's of them. And people we, like Ranella that are amazing oh, at it. We're way better now than we were five years ago. Yeah. We're better tomorrow than we were yesterday. Well, but I think, I think like, in, in general, like if you look at that line graph, right, in the 70s it was going nicely, in the 80s it started to decline, and I think 2011 was the first time it actually went up. Oh, really? The number of, I think it's license sales or number of hunters participating. I wonder what caused that. Well, the, the, I bet it's like the organic food movement. There was a study that said local vores. They were talking about more women. They talked about returning military members. Uh, um, I remember reading the study. I think that was the top three. But I think local vores was probably pushed out there as like the way to reverse that second point, the way to reverse the suburban and urban rise mm-hmm. was to take that suburban uh, male or female and say, you can hunt and get your food. Right, and then that's a way to kind of reverse the de- the decline, and I think that's probably what was happening. Hmm. Well, you, everybody wants to go with locally sourced, locally raised, grass fed. People are trying to go to farmers markets and yeah. connect with the people that are actually growing the animals. Yeah. And this is like one step better than that. Instead of having an animal that's in captivity, go out into the forest. But well, yeah. there's a rude awakening for a lot of these people that think they're going to just go ahead and try it. Like, it is not easy by any stretch of the imagination. That's the other problem. It's the Grand Canyon. Being, I would love to, I would love to procure my own elk meat, and killing an elk is like being on two sides of the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Like, you can't, there's no bridge to be built there. You've got to take it one step at a time. And for most people, that's just not, they don't have time for that. They don't right. have the want to do that. So I would say, what is it, like 14 million hunters in the world or something like that, or in, the, in, in our country. How many, how many non-hunters who don't either have, like, the wherewithal to be to get educated or want to mm-hmm. or just don't fall into the anti-hunter side like the agnostic crowd how many of those are there out there right i don't know but it's hundreds of millions of people or you know there's a lot of them well the urbanization one of the things it's done just just careers just careers in cities it's eliminated almost all of your free time yeah and if you wanted to go out and procure your own meat, first of all, if you want to do it with a rifle, <clears throat> that's going to take a tremendous amount of time. Absolutely. But if you want to do it with a bow, Absolutely. T- multiply that by a factor of like maybe five or ten. Maybe yeah. ten. Well, ten, want, ten is probably pretty honest. Honestly. And then you're talking about one of the, the hardest pieces is access, right? So right. Even if you, if you get with John Dudley and you learn how to be a great archer and you understand that in your suburban area there are some places where there's deer that you may kill – you got to get access to those right. places. And then when you're done with that, you've got to figure out a way to get that thing from dead deer to meat and all the other things. So yeah. this, th- it's just so complex. How would you ever expect somebody just to be, have like a desire? You were like that at some point. We talked yeah. about Well, Ranella opened the door for me. 
And so I'm you're forever, lucky as hell to have, have yeah, that, right? Yeah, super lucky. Forever grateful. Because when he uh, took me into a wild backcountry Montana deer hunt. Yeah, you got uh, kicking hunt. the nuts <laughs> the first it, deer hunt. It, it was just crazy. Yeah, in the Missouri breaks in October, Ooh. nine degrees out, freezing your dick off every night in a tent. But it seems like lifeless Steve Ranello. That's kind of what it's oh, like. Oh, he loves it? it. He loves suffering. <laughs> he loves it. But I love that he loves it. He's as legit as they come. He really is. Now, and, I, I think that's it, right? There is just this, there's this big gap, and my father got me into it, but I, my brother doesn't doesn't hunt, and but I think he has respect for it and understands what's going on, but he just, I think at the time that I was introduced to hunting, my brother was more interested in going out with his friends, and Saturday mornings were not for getting up early, and, and so we're essentially the same person, but I just went this way, and he didn't go that way. Right. So well, it's, it's a weird, so... You could be in the same house with somebody and, and sure. go a different way. Well, Ranella has a real good way of looking at it, too. He's like, uh, I don't expect people to go out and get rid of their own sewage. Why should I expect them to go out and hunt their own food? Like, you don't have to. Well, and he's, I think he probably said this at some point, um, or somebody smart did. It was like, I choose, I believe it, I choose to for meat to be the one thing that I grabbed a hold of to bring into my, to my skill set. Right. I don't knit my own clothes. I don't. Right. I don't make my own shoes. I don't build my own houses. You know, we were just looking at some construction stuff a little bit earlier. I'm like, dude, I don't, I, what? Yeah, I what are they doing? What are they doing? Yeah. I couldn't do that. I just picked this one thing because it's also part of my passion. So you couldn't just ask someone who's a um, construction worker to go, like, go hunt, get some meat. I know you have a desire for that. So that's just another hard part about hunting. And, and non-hunters, by proxy, are essential to hunting, always. In mm-hmm. industry, in opinion, and because we could legislate ourselves out of being able to hunt, that could happen. Mm-hmm. Hunting is a privilege, man. That's not a right. That's in a lot of ways. And so that's another whole other can of worms. But it could it could go away. Yeah, I think the the issue is that so many people are opposed to it because they're so removed from the realities of the wild. And they just feel some sort of moral superiority by either not eating meat entirely or by not killing their own meat. Yeah. The not killing their own meat is really ridiculous. Like my wife was having a conversation with someone. Uh, they were out to dinner with a bunch of people while I was on an elk hunt. And um, the guy was eating a steak, a guy from England. In England, they don't hunt or they do hunt. They, they use like foxes and horses and shit. They wear like tweed yeah. pussies. But this guy, no, sorry, England. We love you. This guy's carving a steak and uh, my wife goes, oh, he's actually out elk hunting. And the guy goes, he hunts? That's deplorable. The guy said, that's deplorable <laughs> while he's carving a steak. I was saying something the other day, like, and I got, I got a lot of like people were looking at me like I was weird at work. Uh, one of my buddies at work was eating a chicken sandwich from Chick Fil A, and I look on the bag, and there's a cartoon chicken on the bag, and in my mind, I'm like, well, that's like building a swimming pool by the lake. It's fucking weird and irony that that we're like saying, hey, I'm eating a chicken, but here's a cartoon version of it, so we can celebrate the fact that we just murdered this chicken and we fried it up. Like, that doesn't make sense, like a swimming pool with a lake. That's probably Maybe smart because it's parasites. The ride brain's wearing off. <laughs> <laughs> Time for a refill. Yes. Yeah, we but I know what you mean. It is weird that as we. As long as you know what I mean. Well, we we definitely like to cartoonize these weird. Is that a word? Not really. Cartoonize. Personalize. No. Well, anthropomorphize is you take a, an animal and you give it human characteristics. Personify. No, cartoonification. Is that a word? Let's just go with it. <laughs> just turning it into a fucking cartoon. We're drinks. Mean, we'll do what we want. A sweet little cutie pie when really a chicken is a ruthless little fucking dinosaur that lays yeah. eggs for you every day. But it is, is it weird to be eating a chicken 
and like there Looking is at a on cartoon the bag chicken. where that chicken came from. Yeah, it's a like a picture of the chicken. Right. So kind of a seems like a weird way to handle it. Well, it is weird, but we like cartoons. People love cartoons. Well, that's like, like the personification of animals. I think is a part of the bear situation. Yeah. Because my kid, I, I, my son's nine months old, and from before he was born until now, there's cartoon bears everywhere, and there's like this, you know, personification of these cute little creatures that come along with being a little baby. Right. And then, and you look at so many uh, Pixar and DreamWorks films that like personify animals. Yeah. I think that's. I mean, it's there's some indoctrination into that, right? There has to be. There is because in those those magazines, or rather those uh, movies and books, even those animals are never like eating each other. Yeah. <laughs> the bear, Pooh Bear, never goes out. I mean, if if like the fucking if if Yogi <laughs> killed a hiker, you know, if a hiker fucked up on one of the episodes of Yellowstone and just took a wrong the turn, shit I've heard and Yogi's time. like eating his rib cage, <laughs> a bunch of people show up like and Pooh Bear and Yogi are just like going at just it, just ripping it apart, uh, eating, eating cubs. Yeah, eating some dude asshole first, <laughs> oh, while he's God. screaming and. Swatting at it with his fucking hiking sticks. And they're playing the circle of life in the background. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, I feel like there's some indoctrination. And maybe, maybe that's what happens. I just don't know. I have no idea why bears get this thing because bears are around. It's not like there aren't bears around. They're in almost all states, aren't they? Like 40. Yeah, but it's, what it is is people that don't experience them firsthand and when they do experience it firsthand usually they're in their car like look a bear and they drive by I my friend that tommy one, that one bear that was walking on its hind legs and that was cute oh yeah. that one that had a broken front paw yeah, so they had a, that bear they called them like pedals or something like that Which is, that's yeah awesome. there was um my friend tommy who lives in connecticut sent me a picture of these bears that were in the middle of the street duking it out uh in connecticut like they're invading connecticut yeah. now and they don't have any pressure so here's the thing about bear hunting as opposed to anything else like california is weird in that they don't hunt mountain lions but what's good about that is california has very little deer now it's not good if you like to hunt deer but it is good if you like to drive down the street and not slam in a fucking deer like iowa doesn't have mountain lions but they do have a shit ton of deer and when you drive late at night in iowa you got to have your foot on the gas, but ready to hit that fucking brake oh, at any just, second. Nah, you just get the ranch hand grill guard and you just yeah. plow them over. <laughs> just <laughs> them over. Mad Max yeah. grill. People, like, everywhere you look in, like, Iowa and Montana, these people have pickup trucks with these battering ram front grill things that they well, put. Well, how many deer did we kill in Lanai? Were you and any of the, the deer? We must have hit, I With think, a car? Oh, yeah, with uh, Brandon's truck. I think we hit at least two or three deer. Did you? While we were in Lanai. We, were I, there we never hit days. any. Roman's a better driver than Brandon. He must be. That's what's going on. Brandon, if you're listening. <laughs> we never hit Hansel any. 10 and 2. We didn't even hit one. Yeah, we hit multiple. But they were telling me about them. They yeah. were like, people just slam into them and all so there over you the place are. Like, there. That's a, yeah. you know, I'm sure the insurance industry would really enjoy. Well, in Camstown, last year, a guy died because a guy in front of him hit a deer. Oh, right. And the deer flew through the air and went through his windshield and brained him. Oh, that's yeah. poor luck. That's a shit luck. That's having know, a, like having a longer Do you hear you. a story like that? You're like, I would have ducked. Do you hear that? You're like, I would have ducked. That guy's a pussy. I'd have been like, I don't know. <laughs> in the mo- <laughs> People <laughs> think stupid shit like that, right? In the moment, that was me, I bro. I would have been driving my car, and I would have seen this deer flying through there, and I'd be like, well, it was a good run. 
Like there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's nothing I can yeah, do about it. It's a, been a good time. An airborne deer, like that's just right. bad luck. Yeah, 150 pound blacktail. Yeah, like, hurling ah, through the air. What the hell? Antlers and hooves. Yeah, and, I'd have been like, Bleh. well, it was. I lived all these years without this happening. That was lucky. That's probably more lucky, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's, I mean, you, you know, you start to like break down those things, like more animals, less animals, the value of them, and all these things. What a complex freaking thing to have to figure out. I always just get the more you read, the more you jump in, the more you go, you know, going to New Zealand, going to, you know, Northwest Territories, going to Nepal, you go to these places and you just realize that everybody has the same essential problem like how do we cohabitate how do we live with these things that that we were in some ways meant to consume like there's evidence of two million years ago in tanzania uh humans early humans hunting and so hundred thousand generations of people have have lived on a hunter-gatherer diet you know then you had the industrial revolution a couple generations of people kind of were introduced to a new diet and then the last couple generations you have processed foods right and so you like everywhere that i've ever been you find people are struggling with that thing it's but like we're, we're not it's just not us in america right but you can exist on a plant-based diet i mean yes, i know a lot absolutely. of people that do it absolutely it's, it can be done and so, i'm sure in those 100,000 generations there was plenty of people that didn't you know, exist on the hunter-gatherer diet alone, but the majority. I wonder of how many there were, honestly, because I feel like people were just really super optim- uh, opportunistic back then. I mean, if you were just trying to survive and struggle, I don't think you would could say like, "Hey, I don't want to eat that rabbit because I no, feel you, bad." Like, that rabbit is the way I live, and then it's you have only... to wear its pelt, and you're yeah. like, that's oh that's yeah, a different deal. I was writing a, a piece one time, and I got into reading about these uh, basket weaver people that were in Valley of Fire State Park in Nevada, which is really close to Vegas. And you should go if you've never been up there. Basket weavers? Yeah. Basket basket maker or basket weaver people. Are they like Native Americans? Yeah, they were essentially a roving band of nomadic hunters. Um, I, don't, I can't think of the year. You probably look it up and find huh. it. But there was different generations of this essentially roving band of tribes. And in that area, next time you're in Vegas, it's like an hour drive north. There's a bunch of petroglyphs there oh. that depict like deities and and sheep and all these different things there and, and you could just go visit them oh yeah visit you know them. what's fucked up about those petroglyphs man they're not protected like there's a ranch yeah. in texas that a buddy of mine went to and he's like you could just go over there and touch these things and they might be five thousand years old i did that when when my wife and i went up there you could have had a can of spray paint they weren't che- like how fucked up is that it's They're- strange it's strange that you wouldn't find a way but also probably yeah, it's probably okay because it's a natural occurring, you know, it's a natural place. You don't want to put fences up or have no. guards standing there. So no. What I mean, it's, it's is, actually pretty badass that no one's fucked with it yeah. so far. Well, and so you go up there and you see these things and you're like, holy crap. So I started reading a little bit about those people and they were part of a nomadic uh, band of hunters, gatherers, that lived in caves and, and essentially followed uh, desert bighorn sheep, much like uh, any of the plains follow buffalo, right? So they were, they essentially follow these things and into this valley eventually the anasazi indians move in they start cultivating the land and planting crops and you get this like oh my gosh agriculture and hunting which one is better what do we do and so the whole story of that interaction uh, is interesting to me because it's kind of the evolution of our culture right hunting has created this social structure ways for us to communicate it's created all these things ways for our body to grow and expand as we were 
you know, early humans, uh, ways for our brain to expand and grow and, and function differently. And then you have this like, oh, it's a lot easier to plant crops in the ground than it is to go kill a sheep, right, guys? Right. Anybody? Is this easier? So then you get into this weird thing about what do we do now, you know? And so I think their their story was very much like the Anasazi Indians. They go in and they cultivate this area, and as long as they could grow crops, that's what they did, you know. And so this nomadic band of hunters kind of settled in this area. And wow. So I'm sure they still hunted to get meat because they have to because you can't grow a whole year's worth of food for for a valley like that. But well, I think agriculture kind of won out a little bit in that in that scenario and as it would it's easier way to live yeah yeah it's an evolutionary easier way to live i mean the whole thing is filling your belly that's the whole thing and everything you know you can do to do it whether it's with deer or whether it's with corn or whether it's with tomatoes or whatever you can grow and you know you just have to eat i mean that's that's the whole the whole picture is staying alive back then that's not our whole picture today so our, that's where it gets really complicated, and that's where I think that hunters have done a really good job over the last X amount of years describing to people, like, if you're going to eat meat, this is the most ethical, yeah. the most cruelty-free, and the most natural way to do it. And you're talking about an animal that literally, like, okay, here's a perfect example, that deer, that mule deer that you're looking at right here. Mm-hmm. That deer had no idea I was alive <laughs> until it died, and it died instantly. It was boom, one shot, it dropped right where I shot it, and that's it. And then it becomes steak, you know, and it becomes delicious food that we mm-hmm. ate, and that's, uh, that's way better than any other animal that you're ever going to buy in a store. I don't care if you're talking about farm-raised, grass-fed, you know, locally sourced. Well, I feel like your evolution as a hunter has been accelerated more than most, probably because that's how you do everything, but... You went from when I first, we first hunted in British Columbia, was three, three, three years, years ago? ago? Yeah. To where you are now. I mean, you've evolved in this, like, what you see is hunting and in our community and in our world and doing different things. Um, and in some ways, you evolved from, when I was a kid, we just shot deer. Oh, here's a spike. Here's a four point. You shoot right. this deer, and, and that was a great day. We drag it off and eat it, and it's great. Now, I understand way more about what I was doing then and what I'm doing now. And I think what... At hunters we need to be cognizant of and comfortable with is you change your sensibilities change over time you don't become a trophy hunter you're not a trophy hunter but you do appreciate the difference between a small antlered animal and a large one as it, in terms of its maturity and it's how awesome it is to see a 380 inch elk or a 200 inch deer you know you, you your pursuit is different than it was when we shot that moose it is also but the you know, also part of the pursuit that's different is that i understand that the benefit of going after mature animals is if you're getting a mature deer you're talking about a deer that's 5 years old that deer has had five breeding seasons yep. has spread its genes yep. and by killing it you're going to give a chance to the younger bucks to, that are coming up to breed so it's done its part. It's spread its genes. Yep. It's created its progeny. And now you'll take it's it out of the mix. Yeah. And this is the right way to do it because then you ensure a healthy herd, that, like especially for bear. That's the big argument. You want to take out the dominant males because yeah. the dominant males actually eat the cubs. The marauders of animals. That's yeah. the craziest part about it is by shooting a boar, you're going to save the lives of many bear. Yeah. It's a weak, in many ways, it's kind of a catch-22 because you're talking about controlling populations. Well, isn't, and, a, isn't it a catch-22 that the a younger deer tastes better? Yeah. 
And so, like, you're out there, like, I really love access to your meat, but to and when we were over there, they're like, we have certain call bucks and there's certain things you want to shoot. It's like, I really love access to your, and if, if I was out there just for meat, I would have shot the youngest, probably not the youngest, but I would have picked a certain age group. Yeah, but client. I'll tell you, here's the argument against that with access deer. That deer I shot was not young. That was a big ass deer. Yeah. And that fucking thing's delicious. <laughs> delicious. Like if so, they're better than that when they're younger, I don't even is, need that. It's a fact that a younger animal is more tender and is a better better cut of meat than an older animal, for sure. Yeah. In most cases. It's not all cases, but, yeah, like, but that's that's the general that giant elk that I shot where you saw the antlers They're back all there? They're delicious. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I've been eating that thing for eight months now. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I do the same thing. But Elk I, is great no matter what. Yeah. Even and, and you're a seven-year-old elk. Yeah, you're talking about two animals that it's hard. It'd be hard to mess it up. Yeah. But in general, that's the that's. That's the, the argument. matter, right? See, and I so don't there's, like there's... that argument, though. You know why I don't like that argument? I don't mind chewy meat. And I like I like eating what I kill. Right. So like it feels good to me on top of it tasting good. Like if I eat a deer that's a six year old deer, there's two things going on. There one, there's a satisfaction that I know that a six year old deer is very difficult to hunt. Yes. You know, so most of the places where you hunt, other people are hunting as well. A six year old deer has seen people that are hunting deer, period. That's right. So that deer is gonna be on point. That's a tough deer to kill. So the by killing that deer, you get extra satisfaction. That's one, and then on two, you're 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 eating this animal that you have this connection with. So it tastes good because of that. Yeah. And I like I like meat that tastes like meat. I don't want like filet mignon. You know, I like I like a deer steak. You know, like a it's the best a sirloin from a mule deer. I'd it's prefer that. <laughs> well, I would say like if you took conservation and, and uh, organic meat, right? And you said, I'm going for, I understand both those principles. I'm going hunting. Everything's great. You're shooting that six-year-old mule deer, right? If you if you remove conservation, you're probably not going to shoot that six-year-old mule deer. Right. Because you're going to get a younger deer that's easier to kill, more tender, more delicious. You're going to shoot that. Right. Deer. You know and Eduardo so, Garcia, the chef in oh, Montana? Yeah. 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 Awesome, he, he was He gets shit from other hunters because he'll shoot a spike on purpose. He's yeah. like, look, I'm here for the meat, guys. Yeah. He goes, I'm grocery shopping. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that should be... In general, that should be okay, but there's principles that say, like, the shooting the mature animal is more beneficial to the herd. Mm-hmm. So that's yet another complexity that we should all just say, like, man, this is here, and right. we just got to continue to talk about it. That's important. I think what you, the way you approach it is very important because you're entirely honest about the good and the bad and yeah. the, the bear thing. You know, like, it's like it's not the best meat. It's good meat. It's good. But it's but not, not as like, good as elk. Yeah, I'm not going to stand up and be like, hey, pussies. Yeah. Eating a bear is the best thing ever. It's not. Some people love it, though. I don't know if they're telling the truth. They're telling the truth, but it's just, I, I'm just, I, I would assure them if they would, <laughs> if they would dabble <laughs> in some other meats, they'll find one that's better. I, I'm pretty sure. Well, um, I guess it's, it depends entirely about the way to taste, preserve it, the, yeah, prepare it, rather. Taste, whatever, but. but the thing about this, an argument for hunting bears is different than the argument for hunting any other animal, because you do eat them and you need to kill them, yeah. because they don't have a natural predator. The problem with bears is, like, especially like That's we true. went in Alberta, yeah. Jesus Christ, they are <laughs> everywhere. People that think there's a shortage of bears Ooh. need to go to Alberta. <laughs> People that want to have one of those experiences where you walk away from that and be like, did I just do that? Yeah, are there 20 fucking bears hanging out over here? I was here? sitting there with Cam. Like, I wish we could get Cam. Call Cam. Cam, please text in. He's at work right now. Uh, quit your job, Cam. Quit your job, Cam. Been telling you for years, quit your job. You're too cool to have a 9 to 5. Uh, it's He's got a 7 to 5. Oh, Lord. Takes two hours lunch to go work out and run the mountains. Well, that's... 
savagery. This savagery. He does pretty good for having a seven God, to five. It's goddamn savage. I gotta, do my, I gotta get my ass together. He's a legit savage. I know. Well, every time I'm complaining about anything, I think about Cam Haynes getting up at four o'clock in the morning to run. I'm like, shut you the think fuck about up. that like 198th mile, like, <laughs> 205th. Yeah. He's gonna do 234 this summer. It only gets worse. My dad was an ultra marathon runner growing up, and it really? just gets worse. It's like smoking crack. Oh, they just get deeper and deeper into how much they can crack. endure. That's probably a terrible analogy, but... Dude, I'm scared of it because I keep running further and further distances. I'm like, what am I doing? And I'm doing it more and more often. <laughs> what am I doing? You're it, you're feeling the runner's high. Well, it's a little bit of that, but it's also like I feel improvement, and I'm an improvement yeah. junkie. Yeah, like, I, I, I know feel that, you that I can keep. I, I'm pushing further. I'm going further distances. I feel better when I hit the top of the hill. Yeah, but my dad, like when I was a kid, I remember my dad just being, you know, a regular. He must have been mid forties, maybe. Um, late 40s and he mowed we had like a fairly small backyard and he mowed a little circle and he would go out after work in his jeans and his loafers and like jog around this circle what and it was very good like I I remember looking out there being like what are you doing man how big was the yard it was like maybe an acre I don't know it wasn't very big and he was running like just little circles in this yard let me get to the end of the story you'll you'll get it eventually but that was that was his way to run right and so after a while, he started running, you know, got running shoes and started to get into the actual sport of running. And then it seems to me like three or four years later, he was like, I think I'm going to run this 50-mile race in the mountains of Maryland, JFK 50-mile. And had he run marathons? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so a 50-mile race is like what? It was not like- Six f- hours, seven hours uh, if you're in like really good eight shape? Eight or nine hours, I think. Eight or nine, I think, okay. when he started. Or maybe ten. I think 12 is like the cutoff. Isn't it interesting? Just... Like eight hours for 50, but for 100, it's 24. Of course it is. It's like, listen, bitch. Yeah. Slow down, miles bitch. In. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> but my dad used to run. He used to run in places. It was like the JFK 50 milers up over this mountain. It's not like, I remember he used to tell me stories of like people falling and like busting themselves all up on these rocky cliff trails. And he would come in and this is going to make my dad sound weird. He's not. He's, he's awesome. But he would, like, save his toenails. All his toenails would fall off during the race. And he would, like, save them, put them in a little jar. Oh, God. Like, memories. Did he save his boogers, too? No, no, just toenails. Uh, and it was almost like this, This like, I can take that. Man. Right. I can take yeah. this thing. And then he went, ran 50, and then I think one time he ran 100. And then he ran the entire CNO Canal one time, 183 miles. And Jeez. I was, like, I think it was in maybe a senior in high school. And I had like had to drive to the checkpoints and like give him food and stuff. So he along. never started until he was in his forties. This guy, maybe fifties. It, it was forties, probably. I would say, yeah, late forties. So 40s. what did he? Keep, does he still do it? How old is he now? He would still do it if his knees would allow him to. He's mid sixties now, sixty five. His knees but, are fucked up. But he's still he's he'll still bike and he'll still he hikes all the time now. So he still has that like need to push push. And and he all and like when he gets around one of his buddies in particular that they ran together, they're like old army buddies and talking about this like experience that they shared together. Like remember that one time on mile mile ninety four when you trip and fail and and the, it's just like they're telling old war stories. It's like that's this visceral thing that they share. It's really cool. You know, like he did it past. I mean maybe it's a midlife crisis, man. I don't know, but yeah, he wasn't predisposed to run 100 miles until he decided that he wanted to yeah it's weird right that 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 compulsion is a very odd one that the need for suffering like cam's got it bad 
it becomes a thing. Yeah, he's my, got it bad in a weird way. I remember way. my dad like he got a knee surgery and then like what they, kind? It was an ACL, I think it was, or it was the scope of his knee. He had knee oh, surgery. Oh, scope. Scope's an easy one. It was. It they cut his knee open. Right. I can't remember what. I don't want to say the wrong one, but he had knee surgery and they were like, give it f- four or five days before you're up and moving around. And he was like jog- jogging around the backyard on day two, limping really? around. Just you could just tell he was in pain. Oh, that must have been meniscus. Yeah, something like that. Some tendon of some sort. But it was just like you could just see. This this dude is this is if he can't do this man, it's not good for his psyche. Mm. You know? If he can do it, he's a happy guy. Well, there's something, something that happens to you when you push yourself like that, where it makes regular life easier, and that's part of the addiction. It's that's real. When I went to Nepal, man, that's exactly. I came back. I was like, I brought back a sheep. I killed and all that stuff. But the perspective was what was fuck. It was real. When you were telling me how you were hallucinating, you <laughs> saw a baby. I did. Tell me about that. All uh, right. So, uh, how high were you? We got. We'll have to start. We were there. We were like thirteen thousand, maybe thirteen or thirteen five. Thirteen thousand feet above sea level. Yep. Which so, gets sketchy as fuck. It's sketchy. It's not something to mess around with. I found. Yeah. Uh, especially on this trip. So we were we're hunting blue sheep in Nepal. Blue sheep. Blue sheep. What does that look like? Look it up. Look Is it, it up. Cool looks kind of like an all dad. It's got these. Like, oh wow. Uh, it's got really, um, really. You can really see their annuli, like the the age rings and their horns. Mm-hmm. And they go straight out. Um, they're short and stocky. It'd be cool to look at them. They're a cool animal. And it's one of those things where we went to hunt them, and I didn't really have much of an idea what blue sheep was until until we started getting into the thing. There's one. Oh wow! A baral is what they call them over there. Wow, what a cool looking animal. Yeah, yeah. Mine wasn't quite that big, <laughs> and that one looks like it might be at a farm. But because um, it's mowed grass, yeah, maybe. But don't the goats mow the grass? That looks like more. <laughs> I saw a very disturbing video of a goat eating a whole bucket of uh, chicks, what? of little baby uh, baby chickens. <laughs> yeah, what? it was on. What were you watching? It was on an Instagram page. I think it was <laughs> either it was uh, Jimmy Jew or Clown in the Homie. Yeah, that's it right there. Look, this fucking goat <laughs> is just sitting there eating. Oh, this is gross, on uh, YouTube, and what's the name of the video, Jamie? There, uh, amazing, amazing goat eating live a live baby chicken. So there's these two, there's several bins of baby chicks, and this goat is just standing there, and it just reaches in, chews one down, and the goats aren't carnivores, so they don't have the teeth for this. <laughs> and this thing, this baby chick's trying to fucking claw its way out. It's, look at this! Watch, 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 watch. I don't know what he reaches in. Oh, he's just like, I'll get one. Oh, I can't catch it. He lost that one. That one lived. But look, he gets one. Here we go. I got you, bitch. Oh, he's good. Oh, and he just starts just chewing. chewing. Just starts chewing. Like, what? What is happening? Oh, look at this one. Wild Impala fights back as its guts fall out. I feel Whoa. like we're really making the case Jesus to be Christ. predator hunter. Yeah, look at this. This oh, no. Impala is getting chewed apart by oh, this wild God. dog. Oh, my oh, God. Don't do it. Don't. Stop it. Oh my God! But it's just lying oh, it's in. There. It's in the cavity. Ah. Yeah. Oh. oh Jesus Christ! That's like where the bacon is. Oh, oh. now it's up on its feet. It's got. Oh it's my terrible. God! Oh. 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 Africa. You're a dirty mother. Look at this. This Impala's like, come on, bitch. <laughs> you ain't eating me. I'm stabbing you, motherfucker. I know I got weapons on He's my like, head. Look at your tail. Oh. Look at this showdown. This it, his guts are literally hanging out to the ground, and it's standing up. How tough are these things, man? And I, I mean, I would not want to get gored by that impala. Oh yeah, and a horn. The dog doesn't either. Are they on a road? Yeah, they sure are. 
There's a road right there, paved road. Look how it just circles him, too. Oh. Looking to catch him on the flank. Isn't it just messed up that, like, wolves and coyotes, they hit the back legs first? Yeah. They cause that shock and blood loss? I'm a big fan of cats, because at least cats will grab you by your neck they and really kill will. you. This yep. motherfucker is not doing that. <laughs> this, is a, this is weird. There's a whole minute 30 left of this. Yeah. Oh, oh there's more. A oh. bunch more come in. He's like, that's it. That's a wrap. Oh, and they just grabbed the guts. Oh, Look oh, how much more is falling out oh, now. Oh, how can it be alive? Oh, I have no idea. I don't understand. And they're just going after the legs. Here comes another one. Yeah. Oh, no. It doesn't know what to do, man. Oh, God. It's so <laughs> crazy. Why are we watching this? We're having some vegan oh, Jesus. dinner tonight. There's like, what, six of them? Three, oh, four, Joe, five, six, why? seven? Seven it's wild dead now. dogs. Hopefully it's dead. Yeah. It's now dead. look at the chunks. Oh, they just pulled the uh, guts out all in one <laughs> hunk. One watching. Look how fast they tear that fucking thing Why? apart. Look at that. It's just body cavity now. Holy what shit! The head? Did they drag the head off? Yeah, man, they're no jokes. This and those terrible. guys are nothing compared to hyenas. Yeah, it's hard out there. Is the point? Like, if you get hit by an arrow, it's way better than that, folks. That was like so three minutes know. of terror. Yeah, we're going for the vitals. We're going for double lungs. We're going oh. for a heart. It's gonna end nice See, and quick. See, now this is the biggest problem with the internet. You get from like, what's a blue sheep to that shit? <laughs> <laughs> like two clicks. Yeah, well, you can you can go way uh. deeper than that. You know. Yeah. I saw a guy chop his dick off the other day. What? Oh yeah, I, I, I just for a goof, I um, was looking at different hashtags online, and I, I looked for hashtag triggered. I think I might have wrote hashtag triggered in something, so I looked for hashtag triggered, thinking I could find a post that I wrote. Oh, good luck. There's millions. Always- and one of them was this one dude chopping his own dick off, and they, somehow or another it got on Instagram. And I was like, how did that- it got like, on Instagram? No, yeah, nobody, nobody caught it before they pulled it down. Look, there's no way they can take down everything fucked up. Oh, they're there's- hashtagging it, though. That's savage. <laughs> <laughs> you think the guys were like, they're like, well, <clears throat> we're getting ready to get this done. What do we do for the hashtag? Because that's, we got to market it. Like, we got to have people- Triggered. Triggered. Hashtag triggered. Yeah, they have to market it. Isn't that funny? Uh, Marketing. Marketing is a big thing, right? You know what? I was reading some mutilation. Some fucking uh, YouTube, uh, not even YouTube, rather, some Instagram person was talking about um, what they do to market their brand. And all they were like a, like a fitness person. I was like, get the fuck out of here, man. You have a brand. You have ten thousand followers. Are you a brand? Or are you just some dude who does squats? Yeah, you can't be like Tuesday's arms and back. Yeah. That's my brand. It's my brand. It's my brand marketing Work, scheme. Working hard on my brand. It's like those 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 kind of phrases. People use those a lot. They, they, they won't do something because it's off brand. That's even a little, that's an extra level of douchiness. I feel like. really, you it's not like my that? brand. Like I, I won't put that up because it's off brand for me. Oh, it's oh, not like my brand. Right, exactly. Hmm. That'll fuck mm, with that's their, a, that's a, what they're putting out there. Listen, <sighs> yeah, listen. that seems quite preposterous. Social media. So Stop tell it. me about seeing the baby in the pot. Oh, yeah, let me finish. So you go up this, there, you're looking uh, for this blue sheep. Rogan. Yeah, so we're looking for the blue sheep. So I'll start off by saying that we were hunting in a very rural, when I say rural, it's like eh, six days walk from the nearest road where we were at. It's called the Six ro- days six worth of days. walking. And I said, how many days walk to the paved road? And they're like, we don't I don't know what you're talking about. Like, we don't know. We couldn't gauge that. And so we're in this remote region of Nepal, uh, in this district called the Rokum District. And to say that the Rokum District is full of this, like, 
primal these primal people and animals and it is really just out there place i think you know to be out away from civilization that was the the furthest i think you could feel i mean we were out there um and the people the people there were part of a a civil war the nepali civil war from 1996 to 2006 this district was maybe the epicenter of the rebellion there was a communist party rebellion against the government against the monarchy and so the people there are are amazing because they've lived in this abject poverty for their entire lives and um not only that they've lived through this civil war in recent times i think we think about civil wars as like thing we go to see at a national park um so anyway we're we're with these people we're hunting we go into we get helicopter into 10,000 feet which is this just knob in the middle of nowhere we hike about a full day to our base camp which is this little village called Dule Yarsa in the middle of of course nowhere it's like this terraced village and we meet our Sherpas and and meet a bunch of locals and from there we go up we're going to do, I think we had two or three more days of hiking just to get to the area where the blue sheep live. So you're hiking from about 10,000 feet, and at our, at our highest, we are at probably 16, or 16 and some change. And so the first day, we go up and we acclimate. We sight in our rifles. We're hanging out. And we go into this um, lady's little mud dirt hut, essentially. It's just like probably half the size of this room with a little with a goat standing in the corner and a little um, fire pit. We're sitting around this fire pit. And they start. she starts telling this story about how right where we were sitting during the rebellion, the police, the government police came in and shot six men right where we were sitting and buried Jesus them out back. Jesus Christ. And this is like, this lady must be in her mid-50s, and she she looked like she was 80. I mean, she's just like, they, this. it was this transformative thing for me sitting there listening to this being translated like holy crap where are we and in the midst of that story they were passing around they had made this moonshine which they called Roxy it's just like made in a ceramic thing outside of where we were at and so we were all just drinking it I wasn't thinking much about drinking it and then we had one more day before we left the next day everybody was sick but me I'm talking shit your pants puke out the tent we had two or three people shit their pants the next day. Like it was the the Kathmandu flu. Like everybody, everybody that wasn't native to that area got sick. I didn't on the first day. So everybody recovers. The next day we're going up the mountain. We're going up. We had probably climbed about two thousand feet. We go over this pass, and I'm feeling good. I feel like everybody else was probably feeling pretty crappy. And we're going uh, down this ravine in this river valley to go we're on these like two or three foot wide goat trails probably it's like you if you go to the right you're dead if you step two feet to the right you're gonna die you're dead you fall off and you're dead we've got 24 sherpas and porters we've got three or four mules with all our camp gear going up this mountain in a string of people probably 30 people long i'm in generally in the middle and we stop at some point after we had crested this high point and we're going down and I remember feeling pretty good. I got my trekking poles. I'm going. It's warm outside, and I'm going. I'm, like, enjoying the view and looking around, just thinking, oh, my God. And then I then I remember pretty quickly being laying in the snow. Like, oh, I'm laying in the snow. That's cool. Like, well, how, I had no recollection of how I got there or what was happening. At, like, so you're hiking, uh, and then, and I then was you laying. wake up. 
I was laying. I don't know that I lost consciousness, but I just didn't. I don't think in my mind I understood what was going on. Like I kind of maybe stumbled back against this rock wall and then just slumped down in the snow. I don't think anybody saw it. And so I kind of stood up and I'm like, you're okay. You're good. You fell down, whatever. Maybe you're getting a little weird. And I keep going. And we had a little problem with the mules. These mules, we were going over this snow pass and the mules couldn't get through it. So they had to turn these mules around and send them back. They couldn't get through it because the snow was too yeah, deep? Yeah, I got videos of, of the snow's too deep, and you're talking a trail half as wide as this table, maybe. Oh. And they're trying to get these, and you're, you know, a thousand feet down to the river. Oh. Yeah. And so uh, we stop. We all stop a second time to let these mules go back by, and, like, I had to hang onto a bush on the side of the trail as they went by. And I got back up on the trail. You're hanging onto a bush for dear life. Well, I mean, you, could, you had footing. But we had we had filmmakers with us that were doing all kinds of crazy shit, like hanging off, hanging off cliffs and doing stuff. To, I to make do. video, yeah, to make film, yeah. dedicated. They were, um, and so we stopped. We start going again. Most everybody gets out in front of me. I'm slowing up and I'm feeling dizzy. And I'm like, man, okay, maybe I just stood up too fast. Probably didn't eat enough today. Um, I'm going. We're going. And at some point, I just like it snapped. In the room it was just like. Whoosh, spinning like crazy and i was thinking and i knew about altitude sickness and i knew that i live in a place that's basically sea level and i was at a place that was thirteen thousand feet and i've never done that before and did yeah. you prepare for it at all he sure can i mean there's not really any i trained <clears throat> i did for about we didn't really know we were going to go until later so i trained for about a month and a half uh, but not you can't train like there's no they told me before we go like altitude sickness there's no predictor you could be a rookie or you could be a veteran. You can get it like that. Like, it's just, it's part of the way your brain loses oxygen at those altitudes. And it's just no real predictor for it. And so I don't think physically I was having any problems. But so, and I don't know that I had altitude sickness. But anyway, the effects were, I kind of sat down. I just couldn't go anymore because I couldn't get, I wasn't about to walk on this trail and I couldn't freaking stand up. Right. And so our medic slash interpreter slash uh, producer, cameraman, um, Ben Ayers comes back to me and starts talking me through. He's, you know, this dude's climbed everywhere, been everywhere, um, and is a medic. And so he's talking me through a little bit of the situation. He's like, this is not good. Like, if you're too dizzy to walk, no good. So let's get some water in you. Let's rest. Let's get some food in you and see what happens. The, meanwhile, up the valley go the rest of the crew to, to the next camp. So him and I spent like 20 minutes just going really slow, and I just couldn't do it. I was like, I can't stand up, dude. I can't catch my – I can't get my head to get back on my shoulders. And so we sit down, and we're sitting there, and uh, I look across this little bowl in this valley, and I see this wolf. I'm like, oh, cool, man. That's a wolf. Get my binos out. I'm looking. I can't find it. Put them back. Look over. I was like, Ben, there's a wolf over there. And I think I see it. This thing is laying down. He goes, shit. <laughs> I'm like, crap. There's no wolves here, man. I was like, oh. When there's no wolves in all of Nepal? Oh, he, he's like, you're not going to see a wolf here, basically. I don't they know don't exist there. They don't exist where we were in that district, in the in the hunting area where we were. He's like, that's not, nope. So you were hallucinating. I was hallucinating, but it was not one of those, like, you see it, and then you shake your head, and it's gone. It was like a looking at it, and it was, you know, just this, like, what it could have been a stump, but in my mind, it was a freaking wolf. And I was like losing my shit a little bit at that point i'm like this is not good and so then i'm sure in his mind he's thinking diamox is a 
is a pill you can take to help with altitude sickness. And he's thinking about, okay, are we helicoptering this guy out of here on day two? How do, what are we going to do? Cause it's, you know, not, you know, pulmonary edema, cerebral edema. That's nothing to mess around with. And it was only day two. It was, yeah. Well, day two of the actual trip. We were four or five days into being in Nepal, but day two of the, the trek in. And so we sat there for a while and I like, I just looking, and I remember just looking after like 10 minutes and still it being there. I'm like, fuck, this is not good. And so we get up to go, and I'm like, I can do it, man. I'm going to do it because I don't want to leave. I want to hunt. And we get going a little further down this trail. And at this point, I'm trying to, like, find some levity in the situation, joking with him. He's joking with me. We're just, like, trying to be normal. And when I know that my head's not normal, we're going real slow. And I look on this, like, side hill of this trail, and there's a fucking baby. And I thought, (laughs) that's – I thought, come on, baby. Like – I didn't say anything to Ben. Was about, it naked? I feel like it was a really big naked baby. It might have had a diaper on. <laughs> like how big? Like as big as me? I mean, like it's like three feet tall. I don't know, Joe. This is some dark just, shit we're getting into. It was, so it was an unusually sized. It was like a, a baby that if you if you saw it on the street, you'd be like, "Whoa, what a whopper!" That's a ooh, that's shit. a serious baby. Science should be studying this baby. <laughs> Like, I didn't get that baby. So this baby's just on yeah. the side of the road. And so I'm thinking, like, I'm not saying nothing to Ben because this baby is, like, my ticket at home. Like, this baby, if I'd be like, hey, Ben, there's a baby right there. He'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> he'd be like cue the chopper. Right. See you, buddy. Right. You you can't make and it. And this baby, it, it wasn't like the wolf. It wasn't like I saw it and I stared at it. Like, I saw it and then I looked back and it was there and I looked back and it wasn't there. So I kept going. I'm like, you know what, baby? If you're really there, fuck you. You shouldn't be up here anyways. It's not my fault. Like, wow, you got harsh? Yeah, I got harsh with, the, with it. And I with thought, a fake baby? With a fake baby. I'm like, I'm just going, man. I'm not, whatever, baby. Stay there. Wow. So I didn't say anything to Ben about the baby, like, right off. And we're getting going. And eventually I just kind of collapsed. And I'm like, look, man, I, I, you know, I was talking positively. And I wasn't hallucinating any more than the baby and the wolf, which is enough. And we get down. We get going down this ravine and the camp. You can start to see camp, guys putting camp together. And um, essentially, he was like, just give me your pack, give me your trucking poles, give me everything. And he held my shoulders and just kind of one step, one step, one step. Wow. For a solid hour and a half or so until we got to camp. Wow. A lot of breaks, a lot of just him and I talking about, well, here's the scenarios. Are you, is this really, you know, is it acute mountain sickness or are you, you know, what's Did going on? Did you get on? sick like the other people got sick? Yes. So that so, happened the next fucking day. So that night and the next day. Do you day. think it was because of drinking that moonshine? I think we got sick because of the moonshine. It could have been water in Kathmandu. It could have been anything. I mean, How are they making that moonshine? I have no... They, I have a picture of it. I show you, like, it, it was looked like in this big ceramic thing. Probably like, spitting in it. Yeah, and a goat was walking over there licking out of it, you know? Ooh. But we all did it. Everybody in there got some level of sickness that wasn't used to that area. It wasn't used to being in Nepal and eating the food and drinking the moonshine and all that. So who knows if it was the moonshine? That could have been anything. Guess. Could have been anything. So we finally make it to camp, and we're we're doing a film. So they're filming me while I'm all messed up, and, and I was kind of out of it. I mean, we're coming down the this switchback trail to go into camp, and I remember like not, I much like when I fell, I was like, I'm aware that my feet are hitting the ground, and these trekking poles are hitting the ground, and like I'm aware that I'm doing this, but I feel like I'm I can't control it. I feel like I, I could be floating through the air just as well as walking. It was a weird like head detached from body feeling. Wow. It was gnarly. 
And um, at the end of the day, I think what they thought was like it was this sickness that everybody else got coming on at the same time as altitude, and it was just my body was just fighting this battle against itself. So we got back to camp. I think I just kind of sat in a chair for a while and said a lot of weird stuff, and they filmed me. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? I think I said, like, uh, at one point I think I said, um, what's the name of this mountain? Because this you got to know the name of what's going to kill you or some weird, like, dark. <laughs> Whoa. Like, this mountain's out to get us, Joe. Were you thinking about your family? Yeah. Hell yeah. Right? That's the first thing you think about when you're in a bad situation in the woods. Like, yeah. why did I come here? Why do I have to be this adventuring asshole? And that, yes, that 100%. Right? I think I was more focused on levity and more focused on like making jokes and like making it seem okay. Right. Because that's the only way that my mind could wrap itself around like, oh, hey, you dumbass, you trained for a month, you went to Nepal, what are you doing? You're an idiot. Right. Like, you got a kid, you live in Texas, you, this is not it. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what, what the you, fuck? What the fuck are you doing? This right. is your brain and body telling you, like, mm, right. dummy, don't right. do this. Right. But at the same time, like, I'm here. It's amazing. These people, this place, the feeling, the spirit, like, you know, you got to get through it. Like, if there was anything to get through, then you, it would be this. Like, right. And so you get, I got hardened to that fact. And I think, you know, eventually I had some water and I went to sleep and I woke up in the middle of the night and our Ben, the medic, was in the tent clutching his little medical bag sleeping in there with me so it was, i feel like that's serious and i think they had a discussion while i was sleeping about do we just does he wake up in a helicopter you know does he wake up going back to Kathmandu? which was probably the right conversation to have it's a bob seger song <laughs> wake it up at Kathmandu. Then i'm going to Kathmandu. that's, a good song. that's really, really where i'm going to a baby and a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> Did you tell anybody about the baby? Or yeah, only about yeah, they the wolf? knew about the baby eventually. Eventually, but right at the moment when the baby was there, I'm like, "Listen, baby, wow, let's make a let's make a pact. I'm going to keep you under wraps for a while." So you're basically like tripping balls. Yeah, I don't know the science of it. Somebody smarter than me could tell you like what actually was going on. Whether I was just a pussy, or there was some actual like scientific stuff going down. I got a Farker joint since it's illegal and it's legal here in California. Oh this just hit me hard. Keep going. I'll keep going while you're doing that. Um, so the next day, I, there's more to the story to tell. There's probably so much to tell. But the next day, we get up and I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling pretty weak. It's like, ah, this is not, I'm still not. Food poisoning I'm, week? Yeah. Like that weird thing where you feel like you can't really make a fist. Yeah, like achy. Yeah. Kind of. So we did a little bit of filming in the morning, and, and it was like, hey, O'Brien, can you make it up for this acclimation hike, right? Can you go up this hill right here? What it was? Okay. Uh, can you make it up this hill right here? If you can, we'll let you keep going kind of deal. So they give you a test. Yeah, I could test you, O'Brien. And so... I get up there, I go with one of the guides, Raju, and we get up, we start hiking. We get up over this rise, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like, shit, okay, that was a bad moment in time. I'm going. But we're back. Sheep, come on, sheep, let's do it. And we're going. I think we, we probably had a five or six hour hike into the next camp. We started getting into sheep country at that time. And um, we're, we're hiking, and I'm feeling pretty good, and we get to a spot where our main guide, Mon had spotted some sheep and so we get to where he 
had spotted some sheep. And I'm feeling tired. I'm like, the, we're going up as we go, so we may be there 14,000 feet or 13.5 at that point. And um, we sit down, and he's glassing these sheep. And I remember glassing them and like, oh, okay. And they're like so far up, you can't imagine going that far to get them. And then I, my stomach just like, oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> my stomach is completely screwed. Does your butt start going? Uh, you get that muscle, <laughs> that butt muscle. Or you're you know like, that butt muscle like when you're holding a weight that you're going to drop? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was doing. <laughs> like, oh, Jesus. But, oh, Jesus. Let me say this about shit in your pants. <laughs> Everybody on this trip was okay with it because it was happening. Right. It was The shitting the pants was like a... It's not like you're on a plane. Yeah, and it was like... It's our, rare. our camera guy, one of our main camera guys, Renan, who's an amazing person. There's a whole other podcast about that guy. He shit his pants, I think, during, like, day one. And I don't know how many pairs of pants he had, but I remember watching him, like, scrubbing the shit out of his pants, thinking, <laughs> oh, shit, that's going to get interesting. But by the time we got into sheep country, we were all okay with, like, the occasional shark or whatever's going right. on. Right. I think it's fine. Because your body's just, like... You're realizing that your mind has a directive, That's right. but your body is dealing with some pretty extreme conditions. And I wonder, I always wonder now looking back on it, like how well I would have done if there wasn't sickness. And like I had some stuff like go to Kathmandu and it's just dust and dirt and all this craziness. And I had going into it like respiratory issues and then sickness and then visions of things. And so you're <laughs> like, by the time you get in there, you're like, shit. You know, it really makes you respect the fuck out of Jim Shockey. Oh, yeah. For people who don't know who Jim Shockey is, Jim Shockey is extremely respected in the hunting world. But let's just step aside with that. He's an amazingly accomplished hunter. But maybe even more important than that, he's got a show called Uncharted. Mm. And his Uncharted show is so good. It's so good that it really shouldn't be considered a hunting show. Because what it really is is him exploring cultures yeah. in the most remote parts of the world. Jim goes to these strange villages in the middle of Russia that no one goes to. Yeah. I've been, I got all kinds of stories. Like last time I was at Jim's place up in Canada, I'm like, he's like, what you doing this weekend? I'm like, I'll fly home, hang out with the family. What are you doing? He's like, ah, bison in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> they have bison in Poland? That's what I, I think that's what he said. I could be, I could be right, you might make Not something that up, it freaking but, but matters. But it's same kind of thing. Right. And, yeah. and uh, when I was, I saw Jim about a month before we left for Nepal. And Jim had been, if you, should, if you can find foot, the, the full episode of Jim's Nepal hunt with his crew, it is, it, they film that they're like doing self-filming. And it's kind of, it's how I felt. Just like, you're just a, you're just a mess just a mess and uh i i said to him i was like i'm going to nepal gym in like a month and he goes what <laughs> like i was like what can i expect he's like it sucks it sucks and when somebody like jim shockey who's traveled the world literally the world it says it's going to be terrible for you little fella i was like oh no this is real now i'm going to be in trouble yeah jim shockey has a a video or a, a, an episode of his show where he went to, I think it was Mozambique, mm -hmm. where they're hunting crocodiles. The crocodile one. Because the crocodiles eat all the people that work in, that live and work in this village. Yeah. It is so crazy. These poor people. 
These people live under the threat of monsters on a daily basis. Like half the people in the village are either missing arms or they have a chunk taken out of their leg. And while they were there, they lost a woman. She was going down there either to fetch water or to wash her clothes. And she got taken out, and these people were screaming and weeping. It was so hard to watch, man. To watch a bunch of people wailing, just wailing. (laughs) Because they knew this woman that they loved got taken under by a monster. Do you remember the end of that? Yeah. The end of it where they cut the crock open and pulled, uh, what was it, like a shoe or something Mm -hmm. out of the croc's belly? Something like that. A shirt or a shoe? Yeah, something like that. I remember we were talking about that. Later on, and they're like, that should be on a different channel. Yeah, it's so good. It's so It should be on Discovery. What's his son's name that films it? Branlin. Branlin is a bad Great motherfucker. Dude. He is Great a bad dude. motherfucker. The whole family. Eva, their daughter. But you know how, like, there's, here's my criticism of outdoor, in, in air quotes, TV. There's episodes like Renella's that are just brilliant. I mean, Renella's show, or, or, or shows rather, like Renella's. Renella's show is just a brilliant show. I mean, right. it easily could be on any other network. It's it's shot by 0.0, the same people that shoot Anthony Bourdain's show, the same people that shoot a ton of award-winning, Emmy award-winning shows. It's a brilliant right. show. And then you got these things that look like they shoot them with trail cams, a bunch of dipshits. Yeah. They're all... You know, they're you know the Lord blessed me when this bull came over the ridge. You're like, okay, they they just think there's a um, a rampant anti intellectualism, yeah. yeah. like an embraced sort of like uh, fake simplicity to it. Yeah, and there's like heartland pandering that goes on all the time. It's pandering. Right? Pandering is a good way to look. Yeah. But then you've got Jim Shockey, yeah. who has this like legitimate appreciation for these cultures that he visits all over the world i mean yeah. he goes to these incredibly remote places and communicates with these tribes people that yeah. live in the jungle or in the mountains or wherever it is and you could tell that this is a guy jim is like what is he like probably 60 or so he's, he's getting up there yeah and he he realizes that he's lived a long life yeah. he's experienced a lot of wild and amazing things and now at this point in life what he really desires are extreme experiences uh, of a human kind yeah. and also of a wild kind, yeah. like in nature. Well, and there's like a different level to him. Yeah. Um, I, the outdoor TV thing is funny just because like I do appreciate and have friends that are like fall into that, you know. Bubba I, zone. Bubba zone. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate what they do. And like it's not for me. I don't watch it and I'm a fan of it. But I appreciate it. Other Bubba's like it. And it's, it's right. a thing. Like it's, 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 it's hunting. Right. But I will agree with you. He's there's on another a, level. There's there's just a different level. You could watch yeah. Ranella's Coos Deer episode where he just kind of like, the whole theme is like sitting in silence. And right. like if you're looking for the and right. And talking about his dad yeah. and talking about growing up. And, and there's no music. And it's, yeah, it's just this, it's one of the like, most brilliant episodes. Oh, it's wonderful. And so you could watch something like that. And then every once in a while you'll see one where you're like, what the fuck <laughs> is going on here? And it's yeah. like there's such a juxtaposition between that what what. Steve and Jim and some of these other, like Heartland Bowhunter, these guys are able to like even cinematically produce. Yeah, Heartland Bowhunter, they do a really good job with their editing and their yeah. f- footage, and they they do a really good job. And with so, that. and Remy, like Solo Hunter, is oh, yeah. really great. Tim One, Burnett, two. yeah, yeah, Tim Burnett. Um, and so, like, there is this really good, and like, I don't know if they're pulling up 
the the ones that aren't so good or they're being brought down i'm not sure i don't i don't think it's either or you yeah. know like you know what another one of is my favorite is western hunter yeah that's, that's a, 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 a amazing show you know and nate nate simmons is fucking so good on that and, what it, and i would say as a hunter it's hard like if you really all you care about is hunting you just want to read 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 there's a lot of bad information there's a lot of on television, you mean? Television and, and But just... then you got like Western Hunter, which is a lot of really good information. It's public land, yep. and he, what he does is go deep into the backcountry, hiking, sets up camp, and does it the hard way. Yep. That's the real hard way. There's a lot of... There, man, it's hard to tell people to, to tune into a show if they've never had any appreciation whatsoever for hunting. Like, It'd be hard, yeah. What show do you tune into, you know? <clears throat> I don't. I mean, it would be either... In my, there's three. I feel like Western Hunter, there's a few like Into the Backcountry is really mm -hmm. good too, yep. but Meat Eater is probably the one I would send them to. I'd yeah. be like, the narration that. that you're going to get and the intellectual uh, understanding of like how to pre present these subjects and how to, I yeah, you know what I mean? That's what's it's important like, to me. Like as I get along in my life and career and like I have a son now and I'm trying to figure out what I want him to know, like... It's important to me that there's good there's people like Steve Rinella out there representing kind of my thoughts and feelings in in a way that I probably couldn't, you know. Um so I don't want to str I don't want to struggle with that. I don't want to like if he says, "Hey dad, let's watch an outdoor channel." I don't want to be like, "Oh, I don't know, man." Yeah. Like so I I I do appreciate Steve for what he does and there's a there's a bunch of them that are really good. And uh I guess I would say at the end of the day, I've always struggled with being in a room full of hunters and watching the outdoor channel because we're hypercritical of every little thing. Yeah. Like, why did he draw? Why didn't he draw? Well, there's that, but that's <clears throat> that's different to you me. You don't think that flows into the actual, like, the quality of the content and how you no, enjoy it? No, because I feel like if I'm watching Nate Simmons or Steve Rinello or Remy Warren or any of those guys, I don't think anybody should be second-guessing what those guys do in the field because you're, 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 you have a level of proficiency. Right. To me, that's like the layman watching a UFC fight and go, why didn't Connor punch him there? You know, I'm like, listen, bitch, are you fucking, <laughs> listen, fucking crazy? You don't yeah. think he knows when to punch and when not to punch? Like, this is a stupid well, way of looking at things. So if you would compare UFC to hunting television, there is no meter for how you get on hunting television. You have money and you buy airtime, you're there. You know, right, there that's, is no, that is a There's different. no qualifier. Well, explain that because most people have no idea. So on the outdoor channel and sports So like channel, if, you, if you want to put a show on Comedy Central... You have to make a deal with Comedy Central. Yeah. They you have to be bring like, oh, in this is good. <laughs> for real producers, yeah. for real writers. You have to package it. They're going to invest in it. It's a big deal. Yep. They're going to launch it right after Tosh Point oh on you know whatever. And they're going to be invested in it too. Yes. They're like, if this goes good, we yes. do good. Everybody can buy. <clears throat> yes. And, and um, the cable channels that are outdoor and sportsman's channel is the business model is not that you you pay the network for the airtime essentially. Right. And you deliver them content. They have very little oversight over what you deliver them. There's rules. You know, how many times you can show a kill shot. There's like, there's, there's. What? They have rules? Yeah. Oh, there's what? rules. What? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. They have rules on how many times you can show a kill uh, shot? I'm fairly sure. So you can't like shoot a deer two minutes into the episode and just. Just watch the close up on the deer's eyes as the arrow goes to its body. Close up on the arrow as it's it hits the ribcage. It's good thing we brought cage. that red camera, Jim. Da, 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 All death metal and deers they, dying. Yeah, Feet up in the air, kicking. Chicken in the air. <laughs> there could be a show like that. 
I mean, there's a lot it. of nutty fucking shows. Well, there's there a is. few that are like kind of metal inspired, like oh, Fear yeah. No Evil. But so there are. Oh God! Right? There are like. <laughs> I'm trying to be diplomatic here, Rogan. There, there are um, some really good shows, but but you pay, and there's some shows that are owned by the network. But that is the the minority. The majority of shows are people who are paying for airtime, and then companies come in and sponsor their show and pay that. For their four Isn't that weird, though, that a network on actual, regular, direct TV, mm-hmm. like you can get to a channel 605, 606, mm-hmm. 604, that's not, you know what's interesting? The hunting channels, which are, uh, like, I would say, overwhelmingly Christian, like in terms of viewership and in terms of, like, the people that are on the show, are literally two or three channels away from black dicks and white chicks <laughs> on direct TV. <laughs> the porn channels... The porn channels are like 596, 597, and then you go 604. It's Listen, like, man. hey, y'all, this we're is... out here representing God's great earth and the beauty and the bounty of Jesus Christ out here in the forest. Like, well, it's... you're always two clicks away from something terrible. <laughs> Black poles and white holes. Next on DirecTV. Click, click, click. Yeah. Jesus has blessed me with this turkey. <laughs> This we were beautiful two clicks away longer guy and uh, a, a freaking hyena massacre. That's like, true. You're always two clicks but, away. But from... that's the internet. This is television. Like that's true. you know, it's those lines are going to get super TV. blurred. They're going to get super blurred. They're more blurred yeah. now than ever before. Stephen Colbert said that the president really of the did. fucking United States uses Putin's dick. Like, he uses his mouth as Putin's cock holster. What? Yes. But Stephen Colbert is very religious, right? He is. He said that? When yes. did he say that? Recently? He said it on television recently. Yeah, his, idea, yeah, his idea was he was going to... This is the inside story. He was baiting Trump to respond to him. And finally, after he said that, Trump did respond, called him second rate, not funny, and all these things, ratings dying, ratings bad, all this stuff. And then Colbert gets on TV and he goes, Mr. Trump. Out of all the things that I know you don't understand, the one thing I thought you did understand was show business. Oh, he's trolling. He's like, you responded to me. That means I win. And then he (laughs) He trolled the president of the United States. He did. He trolled the president. The fact that the president is trollable is an issue. He's trolling as well as being trollable. Yeah, that's true. Like Joe Scarborough and his fiance. Do you know that whole story where the president tweeted that the woman came to Mar-a-Lago, but she had facelift uh, surgery and she was bleeding very badly, and he did not go, did not hang out with them. He tweeted that. Am I miss last week? I got to get back on Twitter. It's so bad that Scarborough left the Republican Party. What is happening in Scarbo's the world? Scarbo's like, look, if you guys are going to support this, he goes, I'm not a Republican anymore. He goes, I'm going independent. He goes, I still have Republican values. I felt still belong Believe to the GOP, but I'm not going to do this. <laughs> we live, we live in strange times. The strangest, the strangest of the times. Strangest. Joe Rogan. That's why my tour is called Strange Times. Go to JoeRogan.net for its house tour. <clears throat> See you in Utah this weekend. We'll be there. Oh, you're going to be there. I'll be there. Yeah, we're going to be there for it's total coincidence. My wife doesn't believe it. But the totary, total archery challenge is actually there at the same time. All hunting is total coincidence. Total coincidence. Wife. I can't believe this, baby. Can't it's amazing. I'm doing a show in I the wilds of New Mexico in September. I always wanted to visit this Native American reservation. And it turns out that they invited me to hunt bison <laughs> there. I mean, I don't want to go, but, but I don't want to. There's 75 wanna, people coming to the show. I don't want to be disrespectful. Well, 
strange times it is. I don't. I must not like. I I do every once in a while flick on uh, CNN or CNN Fox. or something. But I don't. I'm not one of those people. I've seen people in my life that get so wrapped up in that stuff that it becomes it becomes their reality. I've never been affected by anything Donald Trump has done in my daily life. The healthcare thing is a different deal, but but I think in my daily life. There's few things that directly affect me other than something that seems existential, other than the environment and freaking healthcare. Right, but that doesn't even affect you where you feel it. That's you where part feel of the problem it if you is. You ignore it. <clears throat> That's part of the problem is that we don't like on a day to day basis. It doesn't touch your skin. Yep. It doesn't make your your nerve endings respond. So you can choose. There's there's a choice, right, man? You can choose to not. You can choose to. Create some sort of bubble for that news and, and politics and let only what's important in. That's kind yeah. of what I try to do. I don't yeah. know if I'm always doing it, but I don't just turn it on and sit there and watch CNN and think, ah, Russia. Right. Like, oh, man. I got to... If, I'm, if I see a Russian on the street, I'll punch him right in his face. Well, you saw that news report where the, the reporter, he admitted that this whole yeah. Russia thing is yeah. kind of bullshit and it's just for ratings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, as a, I'm a journalism major. I'm like... <coughs> Of course it is. Yeah. Of course it is. Of course it is. If it bleeds, it leads, Ben. <laughs> yeah, it's. Listen. I don't know what's real anymore. You yeah. know, I really don't. I, I don't want to ever say. I, I mean, I want to look into things for sure. It's, it's not that I'm not. I'm not thinking about it. But man, I watch House of Cards too much. What you drinking there, Joe Rogan? This is uh, not a sponsor. Is what's important. It's Zevia. Do you know what Zevia mm, is? I do not. I would like to know. It's a, a stevia flavored soft drink. Mm, yeah, it's one hundred percent no sugar. Um, this one is their their energy drink. Mm. Um, I think it has one hundred and twenty milligrams of caffeine, which is like a good cup of coffee. Dude. Not a Starbucks venti. I think it has two hundred. So it's not quite, <clears throat> but uh, not quite a Starbucks venti. Not even a grande, but it has zero sugar, and it actually tastes really good. Wow. Would you like one? I would, yeah. Oh, young Jamie. Let me Jamie. chuck down this uh, Maybe this and motherfucker we'll just... a uh, Zevia. Yeah. Sorry. They, they make, I mean, they they make they really good it, soft drinks, too. Do we have any soft drinks in the fridge or just the energy drink? Throw some of those soft drinks in the fridge for the I next. I feel like as first time visiting California, I got to do shit like, what you, like drink this Zevia. Yeah, people in California just don't respect you if you haven't been here. They're like, oh, you don't even know what to do here. Yeah. I've been to your many great airports, but never... Like, this morning, I went out and got, like, a parfait. Ah. Yes. With granola? Yeah, there was some granola in there. And then I got... uh, I went to the pool a little bit and did some emails. Nice. And drank uh, sparkling water. Mm. Did you see any hoes? There were... No, they were in different (laughs) areas. (laughs) You gotta travel. If you're going to travel, next time you got to land in Beverly Hills or mm. at least uh, go to a hotel in Beverly Hills. Well, we have the rest of today. Like, we can. Yeah. I really need to see, like, the comedy store. I poke my head in there. Damn it. I it. can't go there tonight, though. Yeah. Like, unfortunately. I'll come back. Yeah. We would have been. Are those cold or no? Oh, they are? Oh, it looks oh, like grape soda. So it is grape soda, but it's zero sugar. Try one of those. Go it's good. Deal. They're delicious. And by the way, not a sponsor. I was going to say. Man, I get in trouble all the time for shit. They're not in trouble, but people accuse me. Send me, of send me one did. of those bitches. Come they on. always think that for whatever reason I'm getting paid for stuff. I get People got mad at me about uh, that Yeti thing that I did, which, by the way, my friend Ben works for Yeti. I'm going to be honest here. This is a Yeti rambler. He'll mm-hmm. send me like some Yeti things. But I bought Yeti shit before he even worked for Yeti, and I was telling people how amazing Yeti is. You made that very clear to me, too. I was like, ah, oh, man, I work for Yeti now. You know, do you... 
I, you need a cooler or something. Like, fuck, Yetis, bro. I already like, had two Yetis, yeah, like, big back ass off. ones. Yeah. Back off, O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> I already got Yetis. They're the best. It's I, I can't. They're if you've never had one and people go, oh, they're so fucking expensive. You're right. You're right. You don't have to have one. But I'm telling you, if you have the money and you want a, a crazy fucking mm. cooler, they are the shit. This is very good. What? How do you feel about the ones that? There's one that, um, that, that totally copied yeti like oh, in every many, way many but i mean they copied the the way it's very flattering the way the logo is mm-hmm. and someone was saying hey man this one is like half the price and it does just as good i'm like right okay and then there was like this battle after i posted that in the comment section of instagram where people are like they're copycats <laughs> you know that's there you know. is debates i mean it's a good robust debate on what's the better cooler it's funny that yeti has kind of well yeah created the premium cooler category and then and and when you create a category like that when you and become a business like yeti is you're gonna have people that follow Copy along for sure right? and they kind of need <coughs> us and we kind of need them and it's whatever but as long as there's not they're not infringing on the things that are are intellectual Patent property and shit. things yeah. of that nature i don't as far as that goes i i know as a company man we look forward like we have stuff we're coming out with now things we're doing we're not worried about people that are that are copying us because I'll just continue to follow along. Yeah, know? I mean, look, coolers are coolers. It's all good, but what I, I mean, I when I find something that I like that's good, I like to tell people about it. And for whatever reason, people always why assume. Is that, why is that such a hard thing to get their heads around? Well, because it's they're cynical and they should be because people it's are full of shit. There's a lot of people that are full of shit. Yeah, there are. But I swear to fucking God, if there's ever a time where I have an ad for, like the ads for my podcast, everybody knows their ads. People pay for those ads. That's what my, when we were talking about it. That was my <coughs> argument. I'm like, people pay for ads, and Joe yeah. reads the ad. He never, he never just like throws in during a podcast. Like, ah, let me just pull out this. No, 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 no. Doesn't happen. And that's if why I people talk listen. like Zevia. I have zero. I bought this. I, I ran I out. This. I ordered these all on Amazon.com. I paid for them. It. It's very delicious. Yeah, they're fucking great. I drink this shit all the time. You know why? Because you. it tastes good. And it doesn't have any bullshit in it. Like, this is all just zero calories, zero sugar. You know, I mean, it's grape soda, but it's clear because they don't have any... Pres- no, look, 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 see, it's grape, but look, clear. It oh, looks like crap. fucking water. It's like the Zima, right? Yeah, it's great. I used to love Zima. I'm, it's not a Zevia ad. I don't have any fucking... Nothing to do with that company. They're not Good. a sponsor. But isn't that the whole world? Like, facts are... You know, people assign their motives to facts and, like, everything. Yeah. Right. I, I could say... I work for... Yeah, I could say... Yeti's a great cooler. It's the best I've ever used. I use them all the time, more than any normal person. Cause it's my right. job. And I've found it to be, I'm proud to work for the company because it's something I can stand behind. I still have people be like, ah, whatever, man. Right, you're just shilling for your company, bro. I'm like, I just, but, dude, I was, uh, but it's isn't it smart, though, that people are that cynical? I mean, like, look, but here's a perfect example. I rant and rave about the glory of a 1965 Corvette. I don't work for 1965 Corvettes. Okay, nope. it's just like there's a reality about certain things that are awesome that people have created that I celebrate, and I don't I don't say I'm not going to talk about Zevia because they're not a sponsor, or I'm not going to talk about right. Yeti because they're not a sponsor. It's it's interesting to me. It's all interesting. I yeah. like I like when people get it right. Well, and you, you have this like this podcast where you've done you closing on a thousand episodes, and if you remove like all consumer products from the conversation, yeah. it would suck. Mm. You know, it would and the suck, problem is people be- boil down. Um, innovation to a consumer product they boil it down to a material possession that somebody has to purchase right 
I'm I'm not looking at it that way. I'm being honest. When I'm when I'm looking at something that someone in, someone creates, some new innovation, I'm looking at it like, oh, look what they did. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I wish I could have figured that out. <laughs> like what is? It? I don't even think that because hey. I'm not an inventor, but I do I do get excited about uh, cool on shit the, on the archery side of things. Bluetooth. Mm, I heard knock. about that. Is that real? See that link I sent you? That is real. It's real. Uh, What's it called? What's uh, the name of the company? Breadcrumb Tech. Bluetooth, Bluetooth knocks. The problem uh, is, I'm shooting 86 pounds. So you're I'm too blowing, strong. I'm blowing right through it, man. Listen, there's not going to be any knocks poking out where you can track those things. I've had a lot of people tell you know through me to tell you just to just dial it down a little bit, Do Joe. They? Do they? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, for people, real? Yeah, for real. I've had a couple people say like, Joe, I, you can't be promoting shooting that much poundage. I just want you motherfuckers <laughs> to check out the gun show. My arrows go this way. And this uh, way. I don't know, understand why people don't. It doesn't factor into their mind that some people are stronger than them. It's true. Like if you pull sixty pounds, I don't feel bad. About, I'm not upset at you. Look at these things. Look. So they shoot this. Um, arrow, and then with your phone, you can track the knock through yep. a Bluetooth device that has that some thing. sort of a GPS locator on it. Oh, you shoot it in the grass, which I do often. He missed it. That's my that's Brandon Bates. <clears throat> Brandon Bates from uh, RMEF. RMEF, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Good man. I think he's got an America hat on. America. Mm. America. I got an America case for my phone. America. God, America. America. Nothing better than America. Wait till we have the new studio and have America flag in the background. Now that oh. flag we got sitting back there, Jamie. God damn glory. Have you previewed the new stu- the new studio? Shh, nobody knows anything. Oh, okay. There's not anything. a new studio. When it when it comes, it will be epic. Yeah, you guys don't worry about but, it. But um these knocks, it's it's gonna be a good way to find arrows for sure. But what's what's interesting is it'll be a a good way to track animals mm-hmm. if you uh shoot an animal. Like a lot of times <clears throat> people shoot an animal and the animal runs and it's in thick cover and you can't find it. Right. It's dead. It died quick. Like an animal can run 200 yards inside of a few seconds and die yep. immediately and you might never find it. So if you shoot exactly where you aim and you put a hole in each of its lungs. Yeah. With a 2-inch diameter diameter rage broadhead or 1 and a quarter whatever whatever it is, it can run 100 you know, 100 yards. 100 Perfect example is that place we were at in Texas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This place had these scrub oaks that were six feet tall and you could not get into. Yeah. And the animals, you would shoot one. The, guy, the guys were talking to us about pigs. Like, yeah, we had a pig contest. We shot three, lost two. Yeah. Like, what? What? <laughs> What's wrong with you? you? And it didn't make sense until you go there. You go, oh, yeah. How are you going to find that? Like, like, you can't even get we, in there. Why would we go there? Like, why would we do that? Well, we they just it. needed to trim that stuff. Yeah. It's just should have talked to him about that. I don't. I think they kind of knew, but they were putting it off. But it was just like Jesus Christ, like you yeah. have so much bush. Well, and any place you hunt, like especially uh, when you think about recovering game, even in <clears throat> Lanai, you think it's a fairly yeah. flat place. Like if I shoot a deer, I'll see it go down or whatever. It goes behind a bush or it goes over a rise, and you go and you're like, oh, whoa, crap. Well, Every- how about the place that we were at the last day, where the grass was six feet high <laughs> and the animals were in the grass? We well, didn't even you were know they were there. Kick deer and stuff. <laughs> They were waiting. What's crazy was Ben and I were there. I shot at this one deer and other deer that were like 30 feet away from us jumped out of the bushes. <laughs> like they were hiding. They, they heard us talking. They knew we were there yeah. and they just laid low. Yeah. Well, they like they laid low and then you shot an arrow and they were like, <gasps> I know what that sounds like. Yeah. And they ran off and, I knew, and we knew they didn't cross into the next little 
paddock like the next across this road so i circled around and got up on this like mound so i could <coughs> see into the grass and i could see him in there they're just like talking to you like shit what do we do <laughs> like, it's, it's joe rogan and uh i was trying to get you to go in there but you were what like six feet away from these things by the time by the time we got to him i was no no further away than 15 feet yeah <coughs> and you're talking an axis deer that has swords growing out of its head yeah multiple it points. was pretty crazy but they're just animals evolve to experience whatever the dangers of their environment are and their dangers are 100 percent people yeah and that that animal's probably four or five years old been around people for four or five years it's like oh i get it when people are around they're trying to eat you man People have never got me in this grass. <laughs> yeah, nobody has has ever been able to do it. So how yeah. did you? How did the Nepal thing end? Mm. Uh, did you get it together? I did get it together. Uh, I think we left off at. I started to get sick. Well, the whole next day I was puking, shitting, and just I had the flu. Everybody else got, but I just got it like two days later. And so it was that day. The they it was the first day we'd seen sheep, so we were three I think four days into the tr- into the trek, and we were camping uh, somewhere at fourteen thousand feet, and um, the next day the guy was with the other guy that had a tag Cole goes up shoots a sheep, and like six like they climb up two thousand feet sixty mile an hour wind bursts micro bursts frostbite conditions, like these guys when they came back looked beaten and these are. Cole Kramer, who we went with, is a, a Kodiak, Alaska bear guide and a mountain hunter, and as hardcore as it gets. And uh, I looked at his face when he got back, and I had just been in my tent all day puking and you know, trying to stay alive. And I looked at his face, and he's like, oh, my God. And I thought, I can't make it over there to the latrine, let alone up this mountain to kill a sheep. Um, and so I kind of had resigned myself to, like, this is it, man. I can't. I wish I was healthy enough to do it, but that's I don't want to get up there and then have issues and not be able to get helicopter rescue. And so we we talked about it, but the worst part, and I'll just have to tell this just because it's like the, the low point of my trip there. The third night in, the when we got to camp, I was puking in the vestibule of my tent, and all the all the, the, the Nepali guys were, are you okay, you okay, you okay? No, I'm not okay, I'm puking. And then... Fell asleep, woke back up, had to go to the bathroom. Ben, the medic, is there. He's kind of helping me to the bathroom. Like, I can't, I'm not going to make it. I can't stand up. So I literally just kind of like huddled over in the snow and pulled my pants down and just right in the middle of the camp and just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> and <clears throat> I just remember doing like just thinking, what is, oh my God. And I look up and there's all these porters and Sherpas with their headlamps on, like, you okay, Mr. Ben? You okay? I'm like, Look at me! <laughs> I'm dying. And so that was the lowest point of the trip. And that, I think the next day, Cole killed his sheep. The day after that, I went up the mountain with a with in midday just for another like acclimation. Could I make it? We got into a group of sheep, didn't make it happen, but I went up the mountain, basically. Probably 1,200 feet, just a good climb. Went back down, they're like, okay. Tomorrow is kind of the last chance because we're almost out of areas to hunt these sheep. And we went up the valley, I want to say like eight miles. I got, I got it written down somewhere. Eight, eight, wow. Eight miles. And after up, being on death's door two days before. Door. And I wasn't, to be 100% honest, I wasn't carrying a pack or anything. I just had trekking poles and a bino harness, and I was just like, 
one foot, one foot. And we got into these mountain passes <clears throat> in these valleys where there was like, you know, two, three feet of snow and it was frozen on the top. And you were just like, every step you would crunch two feet down, like boom, boom. And it was just hours of that. And there was a time during that where we, we summited this, the probably the highest peak we were at, which is mid 15s, close to 16. And I was just like, I can't, this is, I hope the sheep are right there because this is it. Like this is as far as I can go. And we rested and we glassy sheep and there they are like a mile and a half away down this other giant ravine and up on this other flat. And I, I remember even the guys we were with looking at like, he's not going to be able to go over there. And I just, I just remember thinking like, this is what I'm doing it. Like, I'm just going to go. And we slid on our butts, like down the side of this mountain, me and two guides slid on our butts down the side of this snowy, icy bank, got up, walked a half a mile, popped up over this ridge. There the sheep are within 300 yards. In about 20 minutes, I got got on a big ram and shot him. Wow. And, uh, yeah. <clears throat> and there was no celebration. There was no – I wasn't even happy, I don't think. Because you're so out of it. Yeah, I think I just kind of, like, slumped over on my pack. I was laying prone. I was, like, slumped over my pack and, like, okay. Did Thank you me. eat it that night? Yeah, they ate the whole thing. Wow. Not all that night, but – Did you eat any of it? Oh, yeah. I was too sick, like the spices, the curry spices, <clears throat> even the smell of that curry spice, I couldn't even take. Really? So I ate a, a good bit of it. Oh, they curried up your They your put sheep? that on everything. But even the tent smelled like that. So I, like the, the cook tent, I couldn't even really be in there. It was, I really? ended up just eating rice for a couple of days because I just couldn't. Wow. I couldn't stomach because it was just such a gnarly experience. So everybody ate your sheep? Like you didn't even bring it back? No, you can't bring the meat back here anyways. Um, so the point was, so they had they had mostly already eaten coal sheep within a day and a half or two days. What and are they, I'm, wolves? And I'm talking. How many people are 24, there? 24, 25 of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're burning through they're that burning. thing. And not only did they eat, the sh- like, eyeballs. We So Cole had shot a sheep, and he was caping out the head, taking the, the hide off the head, popped the eyeballs out, and I think jokingly handed to one of the, the porters, like, ha-ha, eat this. And I watched that dude put it on the end of a stick and put it over fire and eat it. Yeah, why wouldn't they? I mean, that's meat. So they, I didn't see this personally, but they... We're picky. Yeah, they took the paunch, the, the gut sack, and, and cut it open, flapped out the insides, and took it back and cooked that too, you know? It's wow. kind of like a... Tripe? Pagus, tripe kind of thing. <clears throat> and so, wow. I mean, they just like, they just devoured the thing. Would you was, go back? Yeah. Really? I, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to Northwest Territories. That's going to suck. Uh, there won't Will be it altitude suck as involved. bad, though? Yeah, that's what no, I'm saying. No, and I, I think about, like, I often think about, like, what if, I'm glad it happened the way it did because I get I got so much perspective. Like, on the way back, because we still had two days to hike out to get back to, to get picked up to go to, go back to Kathmandu. It was two and a half, three days hike out. And hiking out, the first day we were hiking out, after I shot my sheep and I had a night's rest, and I remember getting back. At like midnight, I don't know, we, we got back at like 10 p.m. I had left at 6 in the morning from killing my sheep. And I was just so like emotionally, spiritually, just I'm, I'm fucked. And I remember thinking, well, tomorrow they're going to give us a rest day. And the guide was like, nope. Was like, it's too hot. It's too, you know, we're all getting sunburned. I had like blisters on the roof of my mouth. Whoa. From the sun, my whole, my whole. The roof of your mouth? Yeah, from like <gasps> Going up and the sun bouncing off the snow hit the roof of your mouth. What? Yeah, blisters on the roof. Of your so mouth. you got sunburnt on the roof of your mouth. I did. 
That's yep. insane. I've never even heard of that before. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty common thing for guys that go that elevations, hikers and stuff. Wow. Like it might not be. So do you have like sunscreen on your lips and your face and all Halfway that jazz? Halfway through I did. But I like I didn't really think about that because I was hot, but I wouldn't <clears> feel burning up. But like there's photos I look at now and I'm like my lips are cracking open and bleeding. I got Wow. Like it was, yeah. And if you watch Shockey's episode when he was in Nepal, it's similar. Like they're fil- self-filming and it's like this pretty visceral did deal. you get something out of that though uh, other than the survival oh, other yeah, than i got it, so much out of that i got like I've, I've written this now i probably wrote like twenty thousand words on the trip but i got this like amazing feeling first being around people that are that not primitive is the wrong word but that removed from society right they don't have they don't really even have the option to be modern like they don't have they couldn't get it they couldn't get a chainsaw if they wanted to. Like they have an axe, and they need to chop wood. And like so just being around that level of just primitive people, and that their primitive is the wrong word. I'll think of something better than that. But their spirit was so infectious. Like they're happy people, and you have these Sherpas and porters who, you know, those big Sitka bags, the big uh, mm-hmm. roller top bags. We took one to base camp because they told us, oh, we can leave it. We won't take it in the hunt. These guys would take, like, a 90-pound suitcase, put it on top of their head, and just go walking up these trails I was describing. Like, it was nothing. Put on their head? Yeah, they balance everything in a, a basket on their head, all these porters. A 90-pound bag? And they would do more than that, 200 pounds. What? Yeah. On their head? Head strap, basket back here. 200 pounds? Yeah, if not more than that. What kind of disc issues do those guys have? Uh, they don't care. I mean, like, and they're wearing, like, these guys are wearing, like, all like sandals and some of them be wearing like old sneakers and they're just wearing like whatever clothes that they whatever to gather and they're doing these amazing things and when they take a break from something that you or I could never conceive of doing they're like happy as could be their their perspective on life is only hardship and poverty that's all they know like that's the only thing they'll ever know but yet they're happier than than I think maybe I could ever be that is a, a a big part of uh, Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe. Mm-hmm. A big part of it is like how living easy and not not sustaining massive amounts of difficulty, like most people do in these impoverished communities, is one of the reasons why people aren't happy, yeah. is that people actually need struggle, which is very counterintuitive for a right, lot of yeah. people. It is. And I remember coming back, there was a bunch of moments, and I could describe all these moments where I just like, I'd be at my, my wit's end just thinking... I'm just a regular dude. I'm like, like some adventure. What am I doing? Right. And I'd, and I'd get to a point where I'd be just complete exhaustion. <clears throat> and I would look over and here would become this porter, this, you know, 25-year-old kid with a basket strapped on his head with, you know, 100 pounds of stuff wearing sneakers. And I got $400 Italian boots on and sick gear. And I'm like, and I, it would always come at these opportune moments where I'd look over and I'd see that and be like, oh, crap. Like, this person is... Here I am. You know, I am in physical pain and things are happening, but like to have the m- mental fortitude that those people have, and they don't even know they have it. That's just how right. they're wired. And so I came back after the whole thing, and I remember hiking out, being like in the front of the group all of a sudden, like really feeling good. My pack's back on my back. I'm like energized again, thinking like this is the best feeling in the world. That feeling of overcoming that thing and being on the downhill slope. Yeah. I'd go back just for that feeling if I could catch it again. I think a big part of the thing of that is just 
you don't really appreciate what it feels like to be healthy until you're not healthy. Uh, I don't advise anybody to get food sick, food sickness or food poisoning. But one of the things about it is, man, once it's over, you realize, you go, God, like being healthy is so critical. It's like everything. Like everything. It doesn't matter your status, your money, the, your friends. None of that means shit if you're unhealthy. Yeah. I mean, and, this, and the people in Nepal live in this, they just went through a civil war in the recent decades. And these people were like at the epicenter of it. And they're, you know... You know, our trip gave them jobs. It gave them purpose. It gave, like, there's a lot of things. Our main guide, Mon <clears throat> Bahadur, didn't have shoes until he was, like, 13. And they used to go hunting, and they they would build their own guns. And he described to us a, bu- a couple times where, like, they, he would remember hiking and hunting sheep, and, like, the gun would blow up on his back and blow his shirt off. <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> they were, like, making oh my God. primitive muzzle odors and using matchsticks as, as uh, powder, I feel like. Wow. So there was all these stories like that, that, um, perspective, perspective. And like, you can't, and look, <clears throat> people say, oh, you trophy hunted that sheep. Maybe. But there was so much more to it that if anybody would ever want What does wanna, that mean though? Yeah. You, see, that's you ate thing. it. We ate it. Yeah. I mean, what does that mean? The, the, well, the, what, what it means is people make a distinction that you did not have to bring that animal back in order for you to survive. That's right. So that's the only way well, they're allow assigning you to hunt. motive to me then, right? right? If they call me a trophy and I would say this, I would say, look. You go into a war-torn area of the world where, after the war, they don't have a lot of chance to make money. Like, the tourism has kind of died. Once you've been through a war, it's really not a happy place to be. And plus, the place we were hunting in, the it was, uh, I think, the Daropatan Hunting Reserve is, like, the only hunting reserve in Nepal. Like, And it's heavily regulated. I think there's 19 blue sheep tags a year. So you're thinking, like, everybody that goes, how many people a year go to Mount Everest Base Camp? Thousands. I don't know what the number is, but it's thousands. I think there's, we were probably in a, within a couple of dozen Westerners that had been to that area post-war and had brought 24, 25 jobs, plus the people that prepped that, plus all that stuff. So, like, seeing that is pretty powerful to me. And shooting that sheep and not even giving a shit whether the horns made it back or not. I mean, you, somebody could question my motive all they want, but within the system and the structure that's set up there now, hunting is one of the more valuable things that they, one of the more valuable tools they have to, to get better at everything, at their lives, that they're having. It's their resource. Yes, yeah, their resource. It's, yeah, and, so. you know, we can look down upon that, but it is a natural resource in along the same veins as like if you live in an area that has fracking that's a natural resource if you live in an area that you know uh they they dig minerals out of the ground that's a natural resource it's not a good or a bad thing it's just the reality of their environment and so there's so many i think that that there is arguments against what we did if somebody like broke it down like i always try to break it down from the other side i think people say like why don't you just take pictures of it you know what are you doing you just go up there pay 20 grand or whatever you pay for a hunt like that take some pictures well part of it is the the challenge people don't understand how difficult it is to do what you did like to do what you did and then have this final accomplishment which is to get close enough to an animal where either it doesn't know you're there or you get in a good place where it can't wind you it doesn't smell you and you can take it out and kill it like it's hard to do it's insanely hard to do i've got all my own personal reasons for wanting to kill that sheep and i would also say like present a better plan then are you going to pay what hunters are willing to pay? 
and are are you going to be a part of conservation regulation the way that hunters are as a as a trekker and a photographer like give me a better idea okay but here's the problem with that their their response to that could easily be you know what about if you uh decided to hunt people if uh, you you paid a million dollars to go hunt a person and that that money fed all these tribes people in mozambique is it okay to go out and hunt people no there's you surely still have the ethical and moral right. obligation to but do to it. them to, yeah. to animal rights activists, do you have an ethical, moral obligation to let that sheep live? Yeah, and I, I I'm on your side, but I'm just saying. Like, no, you can I like make to some... see both sides. Like I, I, I really do like because we only ate it there, and because we didn't have a freezer full of back straps, and because that thing didn't occur the way it normally occurs for me. There was like some complexity in the, of that. Yeah, in my mind, I'm like, right. oh, crap, man. You know, am I really over here just to collect this sheep and bring it home and show people? But you're also filming. Yeah, we made. Oh, we made what will be hopefully an awesome film and so at the end of the day i checked myself and i said did you do it for the right reasons and and after i look back at the trip i'm like man there are a hundred reasons why i did it and they're all good and and it was what we did was a good impact on the place we went on the animals that we hunted like it's it's to me it's all good and i and i would love have argue with somebody that feels differently about that plus you got to trip balls and see a fake baby <laughs> and a fake wolf <laughs> People pay a lot of money for that. Oh, yeah, man, you get mushrooms are expensive, yeah. and you might not see a wolf. You might not. You might not see a baby on the road. I'm sure there's still like a log shape or like a wolf shaped log <laughs> in Nepal or something somewhere. You like some you, rock? That you're looks holding like a baby on to it. Like it had to be something. It was I'm a wolf. Not crazy. Yeah, right, we, we got to wrap this up, man. Let's do it. Um, ben O'Brien, what is your uh, your Twitter that you don't use again? Uh, my Twitter's at Benjamin Ob, but I never use that. So Instagram's always the better way. To and do it. it's Benny Ob. Yeah, B E N N Y O B three O one. How did you get three O one? That's area code where I grew up. Oh, holla, holla! But I didn't shout I, out to three O one. Yeah, man, I created that handle when I didn't know it would be a thing. I thought that oh. nobody would ever see that. Oh well, now it's a thing. Now it's a thing. Let's well, do we, it. we blew you up when you, when you had that competition with the people you <laughs> yeah, work with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, we're out. Uh, we're out for a while. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week with a uh, one podcast with uh, my friend Ari Shafir on July 18th, which is the release date of his new Netflix special, which is going to be fucking amazing. It's a two-part special, Childhood and Adulthood, right? Is that what it is? That's what he calls it? What does he call it? Ari Shafir. Look up Ari Shafir on Netflix. All right. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast, everybody, and thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Texture.com. Folks, you can get a bunch of fucking awesome magazines directly to your shit, and you can try it out. It's normally $9.99 a month to get over 200 magazines. <gasps> but if you sign up right now at Texture.com forward slash Rogan, you can get a 14-day free trial. That's right, bitches. Free. Texture.com forward slash Rogan. 14-day free trial. Thank you also to True TV's television show, Adam Ruins Everything. Adam Ruins Everything, which uh, comes out on Tuesdays on True TV, and it's also available on demand at TRUTV.com. TRUTV.com. I wonder if they have a fucking... And what if they have locked down TRUE.com? True TV, TRUE. Because somebody could just fuck them with that. I'm sure they have. Google that. What's TRUETV.com? Is that the same thing? 
Don't pay attention to me, folks. TrueTV.com, T-R-U-T-V.com is our sponsor, not those other motherfuckers. Uh, We are also brought to you by Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans, ladies and gentlemen. Get it together. Understand your mortgage. Apply simply. Understand fully and mortgage confidently. Go to rocketmortgage.com forward slash Rogan. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right. That's it, fucks. Uh, We're done for now. We will not be back until July 18th, uh, which is five days from now, which is my pal Ari Shafir's Netflix special premiere date. And I am very happy for him. So that would be next Tuesday. Is that what it is? Is that the day? Is that correct? It seems like an odd day to release a Netflix special. But I think that's it. Um, So that's when we'll be back. And then uh, we'll return after that. We have Nick Swartzen, my good buddy Nick. Dorian Yates, uh, one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time. I think Jamie Foxx is that week. Lots of good shit. Until then, enjoy your life. Bye-bye and a big kiss. 